brothers and sisters. Yo, Pete, what's up, man? What's going on, combat? Yo, man, they saying rap music ain't black music no more, man. Man. They saying there's urban music. What these critics trying to make me believe? They saying that there's no room for diversity on the airwaves. I don't know what this world is coming to. I don't know what they're saying. I mean, these critics, these fucking birds, what are they trying to say? Yo, Chuck, you a legend. Is they right? Don't believe the hype. Yo, Chuck, man, welcome to the Combat Jack Show. It's good to be here, and I've also got my brother brother with me, Keith Shockley. You got Keith yeah. Shockley in the ah, building. Cheer. Yes, cheer. I'm glad to be here. Part of the bomb squad yeah. is on the Combat Jack Show. He tried, to, he tried to tell that big lie, like he was chauffeuring me around town. Yo, yo. I was. I was tired, so I'm usually the guy that drives. What's the percentage of time I drive, Keith? Yeah, he. No, he drives, man. I drive him. I drive everybody. He drives. He One time he drove from Indianapolis all the way to New York. Yeah. How long is that? <laughs> Well, that's I guess like Chicago to New York. How, how many hours is that, man? Uh, same thing in Atlanta to New York. So, so like you the go to drive, dude? Nah, it, it, number one is relaxing because I've been on ninety-seven tours. But when we did uh, King of the Mike last year, you know the tour nobody talked about in the United States, but was packed, especially in New York. Yeah, um, I, I drive tours when, especially in the United States, and I drove like maybe sixty percent of the tour because I can't. I can't do anything on the bus. The bus is loud. You got TV screens. Everybody got their music and their thing going on. So I enjoy renting a car going from city to city if it's like under 180 miles. So Now, Chuck, yeah, so how, is, how is the touring game for you, man? Because from what I understand, you never stopped touring, man. Yeah, we're like the Rolling Stones of the rap game. I'm not bragging. Lips bigger than Jagger. Not sagging. <laughs> <laughs> Spell it backwards. I'm going to leave it at that because that ain't got nothing to do with rap. But, um. Yeah, I mean, in different countries, uh, you know, um, 96 countries as as of counted up to now. Touring is, you go in and understand that it's performance art. So one thing is a, a record, but my thing is like this, is you got to be able to perform what you record and make sure that your your performance is even better than your recording. So that's kind of like the essence of touring because it all comes out of performance art where you look at other genres. You know, the rock game is all about, you know, smashing the place. Um, you know, with music, uh, all these other genres is about smashing the place with performance. So yeah. we learn from that. We learn from the from the greatest. We learn from the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, yes. the Run DMCs, the Beastie Boys, who put us in their first tour. And so from 1987 to 2014, and it never stopped. And I'm on my way over again. I saw y'all perform last year at uh, Made in America, man. Oh, in Philly. In Philly. The one where, where all the police and the whole city of Philadelphia came out on us because we hung a sign that said, Free Mamiya Abu-Jamal yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we decided to do, see, we didn't, uh, we had kind of like rejected doing the tour, you know, the year before the show. We didn't see a place. Plus, it's, you know, it was Budweiser, it's this thing going on. And then it came around again and we saw it was a perfect forum to talk about Mamiya Abu-Jamal and also the increasingly uh, expedient rate that they're building prisons in Pennsylvania yes. and tearing down schools, especially in the city. So we said, all right, we can make it, we can make it work this, this, this year. And understand when it comes down to voting on whether we're going to do something or not do something, it's, it's democratic. It's just a little bit of socialism going on there. So yeah, we, you know, uh, we made that statement. You want to talk about the goon attack? <laughs> yeah, that happened. Yeah, the you know the fraternal order of police didn't yeah, like that. You, know, you, you can't be a black person to have an opinion. Not not in 2014, man. When 
When, you when know, could you have opinion in the time that we've been around? You know, I've you been try, around since 1960. But but hasn't it gotten to a point, man, where it's increasingly hard to speak your mind? Like like to, it seems like the censorship game right now is crazy. You could type your mind. Like a lot of people was talking about, yo, Chuck is vexed, and they, they trying to get an emotional, you know, at, uh, emotional reading on me while I'm texting and typing. <laughs> I was in the middle of a tour in the UK when all this thing jumped off, and, and I was between ordering room service and going to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm not, you know, we already rocking 10,000 people, so I'm back in the hotel room, not can't sleep between 12 and 5. Right. I'm going to sit here and use my iPad. Right. Now, now, are you talking specifically about the whole thing that happened with, like, Hot 97? Yeah, and- because, you know, like, you know, Twitter, I was in a conversation with Daddy O Stetsasonic, the great Stetsasonic. Yes. And we said, you know, so some social media, and especially something like Twitter, Twitter, which is 140 characters, you know, is the perfect thing for MCs. Because they, they, you deliver punchlines. You keep it under 140. Some people will only use 139 because they are character in themselves. <laughs> you know, they limit them on that. But, right. you know, the 140 characters perfect is like boom, boom, boom. And, and MCs that write well, you know, there's no better forum. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. You know, Instagram is when you ain't got no words. Right. Uh, ugh. Ch- chisel. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Food. Caveman shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, all that. You. Yeah, that shit. <laughs> but, you know. You know, I use Twitter to get the point across and, and, you know, get up out of there. Yeah. Now, Chuck, I got to tell you, man, I, I'm really, like, for real, man. Like, I've had some people come in this in this, in this this booth, and I've been really honored. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Big Daddy Kane was, was in the building. And, and, you know, up until that Bob point, God. you know, like, Big Daddy Kane was one of my biggest rap heroes. You but had I, Bumpy. We had let me tell Bumpy. you, Bumpy, look, Bumpy Knuckles interview was not an interview. It was a movie. It was a film. It was a film, you know, two and a half hours. It was an adventure of a ride, and everything was said right there. So you might be disappointed by my interview. Maybe Keith will help me out. Nah, nah, we're not, we're not, we're not <laughs> going to be disappointed. Because my thing is, like, it was all said there. What we, is it for me to say? We're not going to be disappointed. I want to know, like, what happened with this whole Hot 97 thing? Like, what came to your attention when you tweeted out what you tweeted out? About Man, that? this was something that was simmering a long time ago. Right. When we first, you know, uh, we... Did the Hot 97 Summer Jam 2009 or whatever. And the host of the show came out and said, these are the ends that, you know, born on the revolution, give it up for these ends. And we said, I start looking at Griff. Griff start looking at Pop. We start looking at each other. It's like, okay, this is the host. Number one, we got there. There was all kinds of, like, security. The National Guard was out mm-hmm. in the back of the stadium for the artists. I'm like, yo, this is like something else. And, right. um, you know, it was like one of those things where, yeah, we doing – our version of hip hop, but it was like a, a, a football game in the middle of a baseball game, or vice versa. It was like two different worlds, and you're looking at fifty thousand people, largely not not black, white, or whatever, and they're out there, and you know, and the n word is being spit. You can see, understand the artists and their music or whatever. If they ain't got no other better presentation to bring it across, and that's all they know because they ain't taught by nobody. But when the hosts start doing it, it's a problem. So this is five years later; it just got worse. Right. And if you see, like, the artist and the host, and it's 50,000 people, and, you know, and, and, and you see in 60% white people, and they're also, you know, yelling the N-word, you know, quite, quite frankly, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things that I'm going to say was sloppy. Now, I don't, know what, I don't know what sparked them off on what. I didn't say it was whack. I, people talk that good. They ain't going in. Going in is something, you know, man, you don't want to hear me talk going in. 
I just said, hmm, sloppy fiasco. And I put it, a picture of my face, my face and I said sloppy fiasco. So I don't know if it was the sloppy. Now we that living in these metro times. <laughs> <laughs> you call somebody sloppy, they all they told they, they vertebrae start collapsing. <laughs> or was it fiasco mixed? Maybe that they thought I was talking about Lupe fiasco or something. No, I'm talking about you. Right. It's sloppy. And these dudes start to defend it. Right. I'm like, yo, man, it's really indefensible. It's nothing that you can say. So I, you know, I was like, you know, I'm over in the UK getting feedback from family that goes, feedback from cats that, you know, checked it out. And then, then of course, everybody tried to blame, like, oh, yeah, it was because, you know, what happened to 50? I'm like, no, you bring him on, you get what you brought on. You bringing that to the table, that's what that is. Right. But when these other artists try to actually try to out 50-50, it's like, dude, you know, you make nice auto-tune songs. Then do that. Be the nice person. Like, whether it's Drake or whatever, it's like everybody doesn't have to be that cat right. that everybody says, yo, you know, like, we hard up in the corner. It's like, really, give everybody a lane. You bought, and don't, don't blame it all on him. This is what you brought to the table. Right. And these guys try to defend that. I say it's indefensible. I mean, you can't come up with enough, um, enough with you to kind of come up and defend that. Right. We, I'm, not, I'm not really that cat. So they was like inviting me to the radio station to come debate about it. It's like, yo, man, really, seriously? It's under, there's no debate. I put it in text. What do you mean? There's nothing stronger than when you put it in text. It's the word right there. Read it. You already know how I sound. You know how I look like. And then you could Google if you don't know. Then you'll know. All right. I put it in text. It is what it is. Nothing to talk about. Right. So then I heard that you know uh, you know Rosenberg and Ebro. I, you know I met Rosenberg like one time. You know nice little kid. You know like hey everything's all at the art of rap. But okay. Ice T. Fine. Nice young man. Whatever. And Ebro, I heard about Ebro. I mean, I don't know, you know, I didn't know anything about him. You know, people started, oh, you know, Ebro did. I'm like, Ebro, okay, where's he come from? Nobody ever seems to know. It's like <laughs> these, these guys like come from somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, that happens. But um, my statement, when they started to defend that, I'm like, dude, all I said was a sloppy fiasco. Right. Now, that's the tip of an iceberg. You don't want the rest of the iceberg. And the rest of the iceberg, I'm not even going to talk. I'm just going to keep texting. I'm on tour. I'm stuck out here for like another week. And I can type all day. I'm on tour bus. Oh, we got a five-hour trip. Oh. <laughs> and people probably on the other side think it's insane because, yo, Chuck, man, do he have a life? He's mad. Yo, I'm doing a five-hour trip. You're collecting checks. Well, collecting checks? Yeah, you're working. You, you, you're doing a tour. You're collecting checks. And no, in no, between. I'm, 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 no, I'm accumulating bills. Accumulating bills. Okay. <laughs> And checks are to balance that off. Okay. <laughs> okay. I like it. You know, the diff- this is the difference between having a business and a job. Yes. I, not, you know, people are used to seeing all this stuff on sports where people pay the salary or whatever. Uh, you know, no, man. We, it's expenses versus, right, Keith? Yeah. This is expenses versus whatever you can do. So right. that, that, let's clarify that. Okay. People are always quick to count checks. Like, do you count the bill? <laughs> but the, the point I'm saying is that I had ample time. To go from one place to another. If I'm awake, you know, what am I going to do? I'm sitting on the bus. So I'm going to text. And, yo, know, if it takes a million texts to come out of me, it's going to be based on something. It's going to have an opinion. I ain't going to tweet food. I ain't on no other social network. I ain't trying to make friends. This is what I saw. I love hip-hop. I come from New York. And I hear a lot of people in hip-hop screaming about it. They in New York. And you know who the people are. Or better yet, if you don't know who the people are, Shouldn't you know who's in your community just like any other predator? Right. 
So if this is the problem that you have Damn. in New York and this radio station is in your neighborhood, in your air, they know they're in your homes, but you don't know who they are and you're not in their homes, then you need to address yourself as a community person to figure out how you neutralize it or you at least demand how you occupy the free air. We had a conversation off air and you know Off this air? Off this air. Okay. <laughs> and, and you said something that, that, that really put things in perspective because you know, from the outside looking in, it looks like maybe that crowd, you can't control that crowd or you can't control that artist. But you talked about how you travel and, and, and you do Man. other shows and there's conditions that the establishment makes you sign before you perform. Like, you can't say certain things. This is how you have to carry yourself. That's why you call it negligence mm. on what Hot 97 has said. What they, we can't tell the artists what to do. Same thing the crap you hear from these record companies. We can't tell. Our, you make them sign a contract, you ain't doing no handshake deals. You, every single artist that is out there signs a damn signs, contract. Yes. If they was doing, if it was all good and everything was all gravy, then you doing it handshake deals. You ain't doing that, so you making them sign a contract. So don't hear about what you can't make them do. Public Enemy headline New Orleans Jazz Fest this year, right? Congo Square, the birthplace of music, right? It's the New Orleans Jazz Fest. They'll be quick to tell you that Jazz Fest. Yes, we will have Public Enemy represent hip hop. And the New Orleans Jazz Fest. Hopefully, there will be a line of artists that will headline. You can play it, but can you headline and close it out? So we was invited to do so. In their clauses, it's like, well, could you understand that this is the New Orleans Jazz Fest? We kind of like don't want no cursing, but you know, this is what it's going to be. As artists in a situation, you comply to their situation. You play in their show, right? So they have the authority to be able to say, "This is what we want, and this is what we want from you." And then you know, you know, this is hip hop. When you're doing it, fine, but you're in New Orleans, this is jazz, you take your ass back to Louis Armstrong Airport and take your ass and distribute yourself back across the United States where you come from. End of story. So when Hot 97 says, well, we can't manage a show, like I don't know what a festival is. We've been part of 3,000 festivals, mm. 28 years, which is a miracle for black people just being together, families. Yes. yes. We've been 28 years as a group. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, they don't toss that thing. I know a lot of people are like, yo, man, y'all should have been there a long time ago. Now, hello, the rules say you got to be 25 years in. Hello. That's when you start to learn about there's, a, there's other musics that are really before and beyond this, that this music has the infrastructure itself to catch up to. It just can't be no goon show. And it's a whole goonology about the whole thing. Like, you could just throw it at people. It's, we gonna, it's some gonna bullshit. It, yeah. And, you know, really seriously, I mean, you can't defend the fact that, no, Hot 97 in the city, in the birthplace of hip hop, you treated the genre like shit and you treat black people like shit. That's, I mean, that's, in, uh, this, there's no dispute. You treat black people like trash. You treat black women like trash and you try to cover it up with something that assumes the authority of hip hop. No, you have jobs. You have a job. You don't have a business. Matter of fact, your situation ain't got a business trying to claim hip-hop in the city that started hip-hop. Yeah. You can't go to New Orleans and think you're going to run jazz right. without the community saying, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. There was a time they tried to pull that bullshit. Nah, nah-uh. Nah, Charlie, for real. You can't go into Chicago and come up with a set of blues rules. They'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. You can't go to Memphis and say, yeah, we're going to dictate what soul R&B and, and, and blues is. Nah. There's a governing order somewhere just in the atmosphere and in the community that says you can't do that from the outside and do that. 
So you want to just do that with hip-hop in New York? We're not talking about hip-hop in St. Louis. We're not talking about hip-hop in Denver. We're not talking about hip-hop in Seattle. We're talking about hip-hop in New York York. City. Where there's a dude or a woman Mm -hmm. who participated in hip-hop probably in 1977 who's just sitting there like, what the hell is going on with this? It's like it's like a predator in your neighborhood. So take control. Like take if you really care, you're saying. Look, man, take control of the art form. Look, those who know know who. That's simple. I want to be that dude. Like I tell Keith, I want to be that dude. Like sixty, which is about next tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> next, I want to be that hours. next three hours. <laughs> I won't be that dude that says three words and you're like, oh, shit. All right. And nothing more for you to say. You know, like, like there's cats out there, man. They say three words and you're like, all right, cool. Damn. That's just nothing more to say. Yeah. The same thing I was saying that even when it came down, there's other voices in New York that are way more brilliant, may, way more got something to say than me. Right. You know how I sound. I've done more interviews than anybody in hip hop. Twice as many. Because I've covered all these things over three, you know, over almost three decades. On so many different platforms. Rap, race, reality, I'm a musicologist, you know, the politic thing coming in. So I've done interviews. You could look that up. You could go YouTube all damn day, a year long. How about the other voices? There's a Cormega over there. Yeah. He's a wise senior now, spitting better than ever. He's got a cut called Industry now. His voice don't count. Bumpy spoke. Where's the women out there that, that yo, know, you give Moni love a mic and it's, it's, it's a problem, man. If you, if you think you're going to come with something that, that is not balanced to the fact where the respect is in rap music and hip hop and you're going to keep these voices away from the people. So one of the most terrible things that ever happened is keeping an MC on the stage and never on the couch. You don't like what I mean by on the couch? No. Like we're on the couch now. Right. Johnny Carson used to have the couch. Yes. Cat go out there, tell some jokes, juggle a couple, you know, bowling pins. And it's time to get you know, Yeah, yeah, it's time to bounce, son. Right. You're not getting the couch. Right. Fuck that. You know, Dean Martin's getting the couch. You're not. Sorry. <laughs> you know, the couch has never been available for the rapper since 1990 mm. because the couch was snatched in the late 80s. It was like, man, we, man, we got not only these rappers are spitting. But when you give them the couch, the first thing they're going to do is start exposing shit. Mm. So we're going to try to figure out how we minimize the voice, minimize the voice, uh, make those that who might be maybe uh, apprehensive of saying anything, reduce them to the point like, well, you don't want to put an opinion out there. So you just like kind of reduce yourself to like kind of like hand signals or yeah or. Yeah, know what I mean, and you know, and even if they're not from the streets, they could pick up enough from the streets to play it off, to combine in their whole vernacular, where a cat is not going to even like challenge them with any other questions or dispute them in their whatever their thing is. And you take that and fast forward fifteen years on top of it, and you get what you got. Right. You have what you have. Yeah. But if a person says, "Yo, man, I love hip hop," the question is, like the Third World record written by Gamble and Huff. That's Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff, great friends of ours. Yeah. Now that you found love, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to say you love something you can't even define? Mm. How are you going to love something you can't even describe? What is it that you say you love? And we use that word so much. I mean, KRS once said it best: that "Love's going to get you." Yeah. Mm. Why are you going to out, using the word love? Can you can you actually define and describe what you love? What are you talking about? 
And, and what are you going to do with it? What you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, yeah. if you love hip-hop, you live in New York especially. It's like, okay, you know, you got a problem. What are you going to say? It, it, is it just the, the, the content of it? It's like, no, I, I believe that the Canadian law should come into effect when we're talking about a place that says they're the home of hip-hop in R&B, or they're a power station, or hot, or urban, you know? And then we say, okay, what does this mean since they've been tossed and thrown like bullshit at the people for so long? You say, okay, uh, this thrown thrown out there, the home of hip-hop and R&B, and nobody ever seems to know what R&B is. And then I say, well, R&B to me, and and Keith is Reagan and Bush. You know what that means, Reggie, right? Right, Pete. That's Reagan and Bush, period. (laughs) R&B. Hip-hop, if it's a home, right? My question is like, okay, if it's a home, how does that home look? Who pays the mortgage on it? Are we paying rent on something we built? Did they put the toilet next to the stove? That's some nasty bullshit. <laughs> Don't, oh, no wonder women ain't in the hip-hop game because you got like the, 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 the toilet bowl next to the refrigerator with pubic hair on the toilet bowl <laughs> asking yo, yo, ask yo chick, yo, yo, you want some of this? You know, open up the refrigerator with piss on the toilet bowl. It's like, yo, you built the house wrong. Right. It's just straight up nasty. So, if you know, with these terminologies that we get thrown at hot, urban. Urban means that you can have 99% black faces you could keep projecting them. You could brand and market them, their faces because 99% of them are black, unfairly so. Yes. Because hip-hop ain't all black. Right. So this whole thing of urban is like, okay, you throwing black faces, so you're trying not to call it black music. But urban means that you can have black faces, black music, black everything else, and you could take away the accountability and the responsibility mm. from calling it black music. Right. So you can't have all oh, this black music. My well, the faces are black. The people are black. So I mean, BET is the Black Entertainment um, Television. No, it's the Booty and Thug Network. <laughs> you spell N E N. So with all this going out, there's a lot of things that are being tossed out there, and it's not the fact that they've been tossed out there just like two or three years. They've been out there 15 years. Yes. 15 years is a whole lifetime for somebody who's now. That's what? a whole new generation. Yo, in Hot 97. And I'm going to say this is not just an anti-hot. They're the tip of the iceberg. Right. This is urban radio. They'll tell you that our demographics, like who, who the, how the hell are you getting metrics and analytics off of demographics in 2014 on who's listening to you? There's a person sitting at a job, working nine hours, got the radio on. How are you going to get they, they analytics? That, you know, oh, yeah, they're they 37 years old, and they're going to turn to a station that they kind of, if they love hip-hop, they're going to be forced to turn to one or two stations. Right. So you're not taking their, their uh, survey into consideration. And they ain't sitting around at 37 years old requesting a damn song. And as a matter of fact, nobody 15 requesting the song either. Yeah, my so where you get these right goddamn now. stats from? Right. Where you get it? Oh, you deal with Arbitron from the 80s to justify your demographics in the millennium, and though therefore you're cutting out a lot of the story, especially when it comes down to New York. And the last point I'm going to make on that, Reg, it's like when you talk about this situation of urban or hot, you talk about these, these demographics and all, you know, Canada has a rule that they got to have 40% of Canadian artists in every playlist. Mm. Well, if you're a station calling yourself urban or calling yourself black or calling yourself R&B and hip, really hip-hop. Hip-hop. If you call yourself hip-hop, across the board, your urban station, whatever that is, you can't play 
33% of the artists local to the signal and the airway? Mm. What sense does it make you in Indianapolis? You playing all the artists signed from major labels in L.A. and New York, and not a damn person from uh, mm. Indianapolis except for uh, my man um, um, from Indianapolis. But they're not playing him. I'm just giving a, 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 just a case in point, right. you know? And, you know, everybody's coming from Sony, Warner, um, Universal, Universal is all, right? <laughs> and you got to go to the plantation to get accepted in L.A. to New York to get played on the radio stations. That's the connect. Right. So, therefore, 33%, you can't get local artists to actually be heard. Which is crazy. Independent artists to be heard on local signals, especially when we talk about the city of New York, where hip-hop has been here in recorded form since 1979 and as an art form and genre since 1972 and 73, and you can't answer to 90% of that? Mm. Because you're like, oh, we, we, we got to get into the new hot thing. Well, how is hot created? Are you creating hot in a boardroom full of four people? So that, that, those are some of the case in points. You know, who, what's the council? What's the committee that actually could balance out the art? Because in other places, they have committees that say, before you start to go in and say what the art is, you better come to us or we're going to shut you down. Mm. And, I'm, and a station is easy to shut down. We ain't talk about like homelessness and joblessness and health care in the United States. We're talking about culture and music. Yes. We're talking about one radio station in a city full of 14 million people, a large contingent, the largest black population in the country. And all it is is about exposing the person. Mm. When that person goes to work, just like in any situation, I just came back from Turkey. They had a, a, a coal mine disaster where they lost 246 workers. Civilians in Turkey said, we will stop this person from going to their crib until they ante up on a discussion of what out of the malfeasance that went wrong in their coal mines with all those people. We're just talking culture. We can't identify the head. There's a dude that's in Indianapolis in the morning when he starts to drink his coffee, make that coffee shake Hey, make his hands shake like, oh, what the fuck is this <laughs> going on in New York? Yes, but you know, I call it, I call it dropping the spaghetti in the, uh, dropping the air in the spaghetti. Remember Black Caesar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? So, so, so we need to shake it up. We got to shake it up. Look, man. One of the things that that also had me not saying what well, 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 I got to say, man. I'm like, yo, I'm 53 years old. A 35 year old can't speak. I ain't yo. I ain't a 35 year old father. Uh, uh, 35-year-old in hip-hop's father to try to man them up. Right. Like, yo, you're 35 years old. You speak smell up. like, you know, you smell like man in the morning when you wake up. You can't speak <laughs> up. I mean, you man up. You smell like man, so man up. You Shit. woman up. If this situation is, stop crying about it. You need to say, you need to have a piece of the air just like anybody else. And the difference is free air is different. People talk about, yo, man, we got this thing going on the internet. Yeah, you don't pay your ISP, you're not getting shit. Right, you don't pay your phone bill, you ain't getting shit. So ISP, cable bill, you're not getting shit. ISP, y'all, is internet service providers, whether it's your phone, your cable, and all those situations being connected. Try not to pay, you ain't getting on. Radio, free radio, terrestrial radio is different. You can have the radio, uh, uh, a transistor radio. Given to you by Neil Sadaka's daughter. <laughs> yeah, my father played this on the beaches of Brooklyn, you know. It put a 9-volt battery in it, right? It could pick up the radio station today yes. on something that is free air. It's free air. People used to hear radio stations on bed springs, or like stations like 
XERB with Wolfman Jack as he broadcasted in Mexico because they wasn't part of the FCC. And that's why the signal back then was so powerful from XERB. It went all throughout the United States because it was in another country. So they couldn't stop Wolfman Jack because he was across the border. Mm. So the thing about it, radio, man, people used to pick up that powerful signal on bed springs. Mm. They say, oh, man, man, he's doing this. This is going on. It's a lot of radiation. It's all that. But he was being heard. Same thing. So you cannot top free radio. When you're like, oh, man, I just shut the radio off. Yes, that that worked conveniently for you. But that does not change the effect on the masses. You have to get into what's actually coming from sources into the masses. Of course, they move the M over when it comes down to the masses. They move the masses Mm -hmm. into them asses. The masses. They just move the M over. (laughs) And that's how court plantations consider the masses of the public and human beings. You will not be reflected. You will be dictated to. In the beginning, they'll reflect you. Look, at the beginning of Hot 97, they kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they reflect it was, re- it was real reflective of what was coming out of New York. Look what power, very reflective. Well, look what Power 105, remember when they started? Look, I raised two grown, two grown women. I raised them and to my daughters. They're grown women. So I raised them through the whole time of Hot 97 as a father. Mm. I know what the hell I'm talking about. We get in the, in, into the car. And if they're hot 97, I feel like they're going a little bit too crazy and vanishing and, and, and all that. You know what? CBS 101. We listen to the Cousin, four tops. Cousin Brucey. Cousin Brucey, Steely Dan, you know what I'm saying? You know, James Brown. We, I mean, we listen to that. We're not going to listen to that because you, the way your mind is, y'all flipping stuff. I know, just, you know I can't be part of that. On your own, you could. But when we together in the car, you know, we're we going to navigate this, this signal coming out. Not everybody's skillful to do that. Right. And then not everybody's able to break down how it's coming across. Fast forward to 2014. You can't share a lot of stuff with, with, with different generations. But what's out there just throwing stuff at them all day. You can't say, well, just shut your radio off. Just to go. Just, man, it never happened like that. Once they built the Walkman in 1986, people started to program themselves. Mm. Before that, you had, what, boxes and everybody wanted to be heard. When the Walkman came out with little headphones... Self-programming started to happen. When these situations came about, when we first started out, mm-hmm. we understood that, yeah, well, people were going to start programming themselves because they often in their own little bubble. And when it comes down to radio stations in New York, I think what happened with Mr. Rosenberg and Mr. Darden is that they really took their job as being, you know, their bubble. They thought their bubble was bigger than, <laughs> than it was. And everybody else New York is a small place, right. man. It's a small, vertical, vertically built spot. If you know the history of New York, it's a a spot that's made of really more water than it is land. It's a a peninsulas and islands, and it's connected by the best transit system in the world. And at the same time, everything is vertical. But it's really a small spot. You can see somebody a little bit more often than if you were spread out in, a, say, a place like Atlanta. Right. Where you could be like, yo, man, that person lives all the way up there. Or, or, this or L.A. Like, or yeah, LA. LA is spread out. Right. But here, we all, we all on top of each other. Yeah, you can see somebody. Right. And I'm, that's what I'm saying. At the, the radio station, and when they saying gooing them out, but you know what? Protests. And what I mean by protests, you know, upgrade your protests. And the signs and all that ain't going to work. But figure out, you know, you know, follow a program director to their lunch. <laughs> Ask them questions. That's your right as a, as a civilian. Accountability. Yo, man, I tell people like this. You know my name. You know my face. Anything I sign, my face and my name is to it and everything else that goes with it. How I'm going to have some anonymous motherfucker on the other side. Mm. 
That's that's nah, man. No, those who know know who. Mm-hmm. People ask me a question all the time. What do you think hip hop then and now? Which is like really crazy. State of the state of hip hop, man. It's not. Usually can't be answered in a discussion or an interview. It's a course study in perpetuity. You know what I'm saying? It's just a, a, a lesson that probably has to take place months at a time. But they asked me, like, what happened in hip-hop that caused seismic effects? It was clearly, you know, f- six characters. We to me. We to me. W-E-T-O-M-E. When it went from a we to, to me, me mm. and then half of it was a business initiative. It was like, okay, you know, we can't deal with groups. Hip-hop started from groups because it dealt with, you know, tossing the elements and performance all at you. MC and DJ and graffiti, breakdancing, everything was in conference coming at people in order to move the crowd because you had to hold somebody's attention. Right. If your shit is whack, you're not holding nobody's attention, you got problems in New York. Yeah, so tra- it had to be like this thing on stage that people were looking at that like, yo, it had to blow their minds, especially when it was all in order. Keith is my first DJ. You know, I should say, I wanted Keith's first MCs, I should say. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. they all had to go to the DJ. Right. <laughs> you well, know, no. so I'm saying that is that all of that was in particular conference with each other. Groups were very important. If you want to talk about the Rock and Roll of Fame for, what is, for, for whatever it's worth, it's Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yes. It's Run DMC. And Jam It's the Beastie Boys, right? And Jam Master yeah. Groups. In the 80s, and then that's the biggest difference. Record companies felt that it was a problem to have more than four or five voices, especially in the in the area of we call it renegotiation, because the N word does apply in some situations. They in a context of you throwing around liberally. No, this is how they treated you and looked at you, and renegotiation. And it was always better to deal with one person than four or five. And if I got to deal with one person through their lawyer, Negro, I ain't got to deal with you at all. Right. That's what it morphed your, your into. Your voice is, is, is man. It's is not even important. Margin. I've seen. We saw. And mm-hmm. Keith is a test. You a testament to this, Reg. Mm-hmm. Seeing a lawyer be representing the artist, jump to the other side of the company, then jump to another company, yep. then jump to the side of the artist. Like, dude, what side you on? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they find out that the company ain't ever talking to the artist. Everybody's talking to lawyers, and now lawyers are talking to each other. Like it's almost like they invent the words and then fight and pay each other over the words they fight over. It's like, yo, you just, okay, you concocting your own thing here. And uh, when it went from we to me, that created issues for hip-hop. Mm. That created issues for hip-hop as, as an art form, as a genre, as something that, that um, fanatics could participate in and feel that they could follow it as religiously as sports. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, the Knicks ain't won since 1973. People still go to the game. Right. And sometimes the product is not up to par. But the game and the whole situation is upheld so you're not disappointed and think that you can do what they do on that court. That's what hip-hop and rap music used to totally be. Mm. It's like to the fanatic. Everybody couldn't just do that. No, nah, man. It's like, yo, man, you, you, you in the audience, mm-hmm. you spent your money, you looking at a stage, and you saying, I can't do that shit. I can't. That shit is unique. Yo, you could talk about sports all you want. You could talk about the Knicks. You could talk about the Jets. Mm-hmm. You could talk about how the Rangers suck. You could talk about, yo, man, every, you know, because cats in sports, they, the fans be talking all kinds of smack. But one thing you know, when you get to that stadium. Those cats is professional. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go deeper. Yeah. You go to that stadium, you spend, you know, you dig in your pocket to get there. Right. 
then you ain't getting close to that field, ice, court, rink, diamond, unless you spend some more money. Yes. Okay, how much you spending? You ain't getting on that field. Now and you the get, closer you get, you get tackled, yo, the closer arrested. you get to that field, you realize that I can't do that shit. Right. And that's what makes you keep coming back. You, you, yo, you like I can't do that, so I gotta pay attention to this skill level here because that's what I'm paying for, and I'm blown out because it's performance art. Yes, you can see it for free on TV. You can get the jersey. You can buy the kicks. You can have conversations on sports radio. I mean, well, what good is it? like what well, LeBron goes to Cleveland, and they got 900 shows talking about. One thing that he got. I mean, how many, how many stories will we get from the dude? What did one thing, but you got eight million stories about the one thing that yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like that in hip hop, but at the same time, the talent level and the skill level got to leave the audience awestruck. That's when it's time mm. to spell audience with a W. You can spell it wrong. They have to be awestruck. Like, awestruck. what the fuck was that that I just saw? Yeah. And it had to be better than their song. It had to be better than their video. Yeah. Because you would get the song. You get the video. Yeah. You see the video. So when you saw the, the act live, they had to blow you away. Blow you away. And all the excuses that you know we used to hear, like, oh, man, the video was so incredible. They don't want to perform because their video set the bar so high nah. that they can't even match it and people will be disappointed. Well, you know what? You did the incredible video, so you better beat that video down with your <laughs> performance. You better figure it out. You know, I, I don't want to stay on this issue, but the last thing I want to talk about is this, this, past, this past week. Um, I know it's bigger than him, and I know it's bigger than that. But Rosenberg actually apologized for some of the things he said to you. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? I didn't see what he said in the first place. People right. talk about the video. I'm like, okay, I heard you that you did a video, and everybody started coming at you like you said something in the video, like uh, Chuck D. We didn't who voted you for. I never we saw nominated it. you for president. I'm like, I never saw that. I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said, for Rosenberg, I'm like, not only do. I not know you well, you don't know me, but I'm not bothered by anything you say. I'm, I want to smack your bosses in the head. I'm, I'm come to the radio station to do what? To say hello? I mean, it's like, you're not my peer. It's like, I like you. You know, I think, you know, I think y'all did a bullshit, sloppy-ass job. Right. Do better. I, yeah. I ain't even asking for you to get fired. You apologize to me. It's like, I don't know, maybe to keep goons off. And, I, I'm, you know, it's a whole thing about you strive to be civilized. We're in the city, the five percenters, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they ain't to be toyed. Their legacy ain't to be toyed with like it meant nothing. It's like, yo, they, they, they said, look, throughout all the trials and tribulations, we strive to be civilized, mm-hmm. to have a civilized discussion. Even with those that are considered uncivilized, we'll figure this thing out and figure out how we maintain some civilized order and whatever. But what he had to find out, he had to find out that he had to apologize to hip-hop. Right. You ain't apologizing to me. I'm just one person. I'm a person that actually has benefited. There's only three areas in, 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 in games as far as music is concerned. A, you have groundbreakers. Those are the pioneers. Very clearly. Bambada, Herc, Flash, Eddie Chiba. You know, ground, you know mm-hmm. groundbreakers, pioneers. Who are revered in this who should be revered in this city like Duke Ellington in DC or or like Louis Armstrong in New Orleans or like Rufus Thomas in Memphis, Tennessee. Always in currency. Regardless of what they're doing. Regardless of what they're doing. Their contributions are timeless. These dudes ain't never stopped. This is an infrastructure that right. need to be need to be formed around them. So then you have you have groundbreakers, then you have game changers. Yes. 
Keith and I are part of the game-changing mm-hmm. generation. You know, always have game-changers that come in, you know. Which, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a struggle, too, because you change the game. It doesn't mean that the spoils come your way. Of course. The spoils come to the third category, which is game players. Mm-hmm. And the game players is when the game is understood. You can play that, and you can figure it out. The blueprint is there, and da-da-da-da-da-da. The game's know, already been changed been, for your advantage. It's been, right, it's been figured out. Right. It's a ball field. You know, wow, you didn't have to, like, you know, have to plant the grass or nothing. All the person got to do is, boom, you catch it. It's on the numbers. Yeah. You can catch it or drop it. Right. Three categories. But the three categories have to all be considered as legitimate categories of what this whole thing circulates, just like blood. And when that gets figured out, then you say, well, damn, being in the home of hip hop, you know, this is, uh, you know, the Rosenberg statement disrespected hip hop. Right. And not saying, well, Chuck's the interview. I'm, like, I'm a president of what? I'm not even the president of my group. Yeah, but he, said, like, he I, said more. He said even more. What, what, what I find uh, something that Rosenberg said, and, and that actually a lot of people, unfortunately, in this hip-hop do is, you know, he, he mentioned, what is Chuck D doing now? And same thing like I spoke with Bumpy. Mm-hmm. And I says, you know, people like the category you put game changes. Uh-huh. People that are game changers, it's not about what they're doing now. It's what the fuck they have done. Nah, for, you know, no, nah, you know what? It's a combination. When you ask what the fuck they're doing now, how much time do you have to listen to what's being done? <laughs> and how much of a bubble, do, how get big out, do you think your the, bubble get is? Get out the bubble. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, 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 I do a radio show. I'm in New York City. It's the biggest city in the world. I do a port radio show. We do hip hop and we're big, you know. No, you have a job. When job go, you go. The, the biggest question, like with, with Mr. Ebro and Rosenberg, when the job go, where are you in hip hop? Mm. That's the thing. When the job go with me and Keith, we still here. Mm-hmm. You know, Grandmaster Kaz, it's not like they don't do it. Hip hop is in them. Karis once said it very clear. You, you ain't in the studio. The studio's in you. It's, it's in you. It's like this is a lifetime, lifeblood thing. There's people in New York for 45, 50 years. There's hip hop. They, 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 yo, they hip hop. To their core. To their, to their core every second. Or oh, what? They got a record on the charts with Universal? And so that, who made that one up? What council actually said, this is the legitimate, you have to have a record in the top this 10. The criteria. It's yeah, the rap criteria. That's why we started this out, you know, Pete and Red. We started this out by saying, they. Who's the ubiquitous they? Who is they? Let's identify they, and then we start to say, what they said, does it have credence? Why would I be offended by Peter Rosenberg? When I don't know what he's done. Mm. And he's like, okay, this is what he does. Okay, fine. But I'm not offended by that. It's, it's not enough resume there. Mm. You know, my wife's a college professor. You, you become a professor with like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to make up tenure. You, you know, you got to go through. You got to put it You got to go through hell yes. to get a Ph.D. to teach a professorship. I mean, at that time, you get a PhD, but you to become a professor and in academic tenure, study. Yeah. And so, yo, man, it's tenure. And to get tenure, yo, you got to get roasted. I mean, it's like, it ain't like hazing, like in a frat, where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a frat and I'll go through these physical and mental things for what? So I could be frat. No, to have the tenure, to be able to be qualified to teach. And with, with, I've, I've had the legitimate respect from a few generations in hip hop because it's not for myself, it's about the service I can provide. Matter of fact, there's nothing I need from anyone other than figure out how I can provide a service to people. 
I'm no good if we don't. My mm-hmm. keep, we are no good if we don't provide a service or something. I mean, what more accolades can you have? People are like, well, you could get more money. It's not your job to count my money. You don't know know me from a box of crayons, man. You, you know my money. I was like, you know my money. You know my bills. If you know my bills, then you should. You know, I'll let you know my money. Don't, don't, money is not even a issue. Money is created. It's printed up in a in a place. It's printed up in a place where it's not even worth the paper. It's printed on. Yes, we want it, but should we worship it? No. Should that be the the the, the core? Ethical model of what this art form uh, is what about. We do. Either you do it, you don't. Right. Either you do it, you don't. It's like, you know, how many people in the NBA actually got got what seven to eight figure salaries per year? LeBron James is making twenty one million next year. What's that got to do with him getting the ring? Ain't got any your money. <laughs> it's like it's like talking about another person's plate of food. Yeah, that food you got. Hmm. Most <laughs> you can do is smell it. Yeah. Unless you ask that person, can I pick from your plate? Yo, that food is going down their system. It ain't got nothing to do. So just like the sports page, it's like so stupid. It's like they spend more time talking about people's money than the game. So this dude, it's like he's not even a team player. And he's talking about his money. Is he a good team player? Is, does, did he give a good performance for me as a fan? All I know is that the only money that I know is the shit I spent. Right. That's when it becomes an issue. So when hip-hop got twisted into this. I make more money than you. Or this person made this money, so therefore it's somebody's that you should spend your money on. That's to me, that's roboticism. I'm gonna steal a broke nigga's bitch. Yo, like, man, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's right. It, it's 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 roboticism. Right. Yo, look. First of all, I as a teacher, we we teach ethics to artists and entertainment entertainers mm-hmm. with simple, short stroke rules. Number one, fame. Fame is fake. It's a four letter word that begins with F. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Fame is fake because you know it's not real. It's concocted. Sometimes it's in the boardroom, bleeding. Sometimes, well, look, fame is fake and it fades, right? Because it's not real. Right. And if you don't believe that fame is fake, you know, and that it fades, then you're fucked. So the thing is, it's all created. It doesn't really. It got nothing to do with what you do and how you do. And that's a whole nother thing. And, and these little codes of ethics makes people understand, like, it's about digging down into my craft. And when I, A, okay, I'm making, I'm making banging records. Okay, cool. It's fine. Got your studio. Before you had to get a, a purchase order to go in the studio, mm-hmm. Red, you remember that? Mm-hmm. Now you make your song. Then what? Now you want to be able to form your song and all that. All this stuff is not nothing new. It's new to hip-hop or all the other art forms had to go through saying we had to deliver ourselves as performance art. And hip-hop has been doing it so well. It's incredible artists out there today. When people say, oh, man, ain't nobody want to hear that. I ask quick questions like, nobody. Okay, nobody. Like, you did the accounting? No, I'm just saying. Okay, what are you saying? Oh, here we go again. You go where? You know, yeah, where you I will take to? every question and volley that shit like Serena right back at your ass <laughs> to the point where you go, oh, no, damn, Chuck, you twisted me like a fucking pretzel. I'm like, I don't mean that I'll untwist you, but when you start talking about this, let's start lining some things up to certain realities. And the realities of what this art form is about has changed the world and continues to do so. Mm. When you talk, talk about, oh, man, there ain't no women out here, artists. Yeah, there's plenty of them out. It's plenty. We're just not paying attention. Well, you know. And when they talk about, like I said, uh, oh, man, it is, yo, cats are do, doing it. Man, it's so many. Yo, man, there's a million MCs out there, man, mm. even more. But we predicted this sort of like at the turn of the century when digital was coming in. 
People were able to cut their tracks at their crib. People were able to upload their stuff to aggregators. They didn't have to save up no money to pay for no studio time. Nope. Nope. You could get all the tools. And people like say, oh, man, it's getting flooded. And here's another thing why I make analogies of sports. Sports, you could buy the jersey. You could buy the Nikes, the Uptowns, or whatever. You can get the look. You get the headband. Put 23 or 6 on your back. Mm. Go to the court. <laughs> you could do all that. I mean, play some ball. Be even nice. You're not disrupting the game of basketball because you went and, and emulated all the gear. So, mm. yeah, so what if there's a million MCs out there? The problem in rap music and hip-hop has been the lack of service areas. If the radio stations have been lazy, radio stations have been lazy forever. Mm. Record companies have been lazy. It's like, are you really seriously surveying what's out there? How are you looking past the borders? Yo, we just wait for what's coming. Before, it was like record companies in New York would just be so lazy. They, they would just pluck from their desktop whatever would come their way and figure out how that would work. So they never really did no real great researching. But in sports, I mean, let somebody run a a 9-7 in the 8th grade, everybody the fuck would have this kid figured out. Mm. This is what he going to do. He's going to run the AAs. They're going to be doing this. We're going to set them up for the Olympics. They will find talent in sport. Oh, man, here's this kid. He's in 5th grade. He's six foot eight. Yo, he's dunking in the 5th in the grade. They will scout that They will talent. scout that. How much scouting have you really seriously seen in rap music and hip-hop? Now he got a hot video on the, on the internet. He got, he got a lot of views on but YouTube. That, but that, but yeah, but you goal, know everything just went million but that's, on, but that's, on YouTube. But that's but that's that's part of it. That's cool right. too. Yeah. You gotta have almost if you got a million views. If you got a million artists, yeah. you gotta have at least a hundred service area tastemakers. You gotta have that. And they gotta be very, very qualified qualified, accountable. This is what I'm doing. Right. I ain't trying to be the star. I ain't trying to be the star taste making dude. I'm just trying to figure out how I curate this shit. And if I could curate this shit properly and help somebody do whatever they got to do and help a grade up or whatever, then I could figure out how to make a living off this shit. And that's the, that's the lopsided thing in this. It's like, well, we got to do this because it's got to have an end result of this shit. And if I, you know, this ain't got the end result of this shit, you know, I'm going I'm to have to bounce this shit fucking out. Yeah. It's like, that's what I said. When Ebro and Rosenberg, in all due respect, if their job was to collapse under them, how much are they going to contribute to hip-hop, A, in New York, B, anywhere else? Oh, oh man, I'm going to go and do TV shows. Okay, that's great. That's good and gravy. What are you going to do to hip-hop? Mm. We've seen a lot of people that, that even made it in hip-hop, and they've jumped off into different areas. And my thing has always been like, well, you jumped off into different areas because you went off in the film, or you went off into these areas because them motherfuckers don't play with film. They don't, yo, yo. Actors, oh, I went into them, now I'm an actor, you know? Yeah, they, they shit is like, we got a movie. When you do a movie... Got to do another movie. No, no, here, no, listen now. You're doing a movie, you're doing a movie with a hundred and more participants to make this fucking movie. Right. We waiting for your ass at 7 fucking a.m. Be your ass in the trailer at fucking 5.30. Have your shit correct. There's a hundred fucking people waiting on your shit. Ain't no individual fucking thing. It's a group thing. It's yo, you know what? It's man? a we thing. It's a we thing, right. not a me thing. So when I seen a lot of artists go into the me thing, then go into a we thing and something else, I'm like, 
Why didn't you take the weed thing and keep applying it to the fucking music? Right. Well, I'm saying, though, this is more like, like you know, more my outlet from within me. <laughs> I understand that. That's cool and all. But we also need to be better connected and to build an infrastructure to, of, of a standard. You know, like I said, the thing ain't about the damn N-word. I mean, if it was, why are people treating it like it's their little brother? I'm just saying, I'm asking obvious. You know, why is black the curse word? Now you see somebody use the word black. Oh, you're talking about race. Oh, yeah. oh man, you mean kill the white man. I'm like, I just said black, black. people. Yeah. So I can't say black. But at the same time, you're at a party with everybody spitting every N-word and smiling. But that's not the curse word anymore. Mm. That's the one word national hip-hop anthem now. What council actually ordained this? Where did you sit there actually... Or, you know, they say, you know what, ding, officially now of this date. Then anyway, it was a gradual malfeasance that happened uh, in the early 90s that moved on up with individualizing things. People having different dictations uh, of, of what the order should be. People dropping their guards. You know, all kinds of You take it over a 15-year period of time, and really 15 years ain't that long. That's right. 1999. But it's long enough to raise, a, uh, like I said, a whole new generation. You got a, you got a person from 1999 that will bust your head open, you know, or whatever. They really, they, they in the water, right. for real, as grown people, you know, learning how to shave. And all they know is how it might be okay to be disrespected uh, you know, or have yourself disrespected, or how it's okay to disrespect Each someone other. else, right. all in the name of hip hop. Yeah. That sounds like the new COINTELPRO. Mm. Hip hop being mm. used as the new COINTELPRO is an issue. J. J. Edgar Hoover would be very proud today. Mm. He would love hip hop, right? <laughs> well, yeah, he, he wouldn't would be love that bad. <laughs> he would he would go on to some other you know dirt that he on would to, do. on to the next shit. Yeah, yeah. all right. You know, Chuck, man. You know, I got I got you and Hank here. I want to go. You got me and Keith here. I mean, Keith. Keith I'm sorry. I want I want to go back, man. To my to, mom's gonna only mess us up. I want to <laughs> go back to the beginning, man. Like, like, what kind of kids were y'all, man? In, in the '60s, man. In the '60s, yeah. Go ahead. You. Speak I was trying to people. figure it out in the '60s. My mom was like, "You're going to wear this, and you're going to look like your brother." So we had <laughs> we had matching clothes. <laughs> Um, more like in the seventies, man. Sixties was born in the sixties. Sixty nine, I was in like first grade and trying to figure it out. Black people um, start black coming people. to his town. See, he was in Roosevelt all the time. I was born and raised in Roosevelt. Okay, I'm a true Long Island. I was born in Nassau County, which was at the time was Meadowbrook Hospital in East Meadow. So when everybody's saying about Long Island, I'm that true. But let's not get it too twisted. Because my mom's is from Harlem. So out of nine brothers and sisters. Mm. So my family was sort of huge. And she was the only one that lived on Long Island. Right. So my, I, I can speak about the Manhattan because when we had to go see our cousins and aunts, Harlem, Brooklyn, parts of Brooklyn, yep. and the, mostly the Bronx. So I've been there. I mean, my cousin Tyrone told us about Flash. Yo! Now this is maybe like 70... Eight, no, yeah, about seventy-eight. Yo, this kid Flash, man, he DJs with fourteen turntables, and he be cutting up, and they call him Flash because he goes so Flash, like, he's like, he ain't got no fourteen turntables, Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and he was he was from South, you know, South Bronx, right? So coming up in that era, man, uh, my my childhood history was bananas. My uncle was Gene Red, which is my godmother's brother-in-law. 
found it cool in the game. Mm. So I stayed in this business. Right. Not, not been in, just been around this music. So my pops was, from what we knew before he broke out, like most, <laughs> like most pops, not like Chuck, but, not, but um, he, was, he was into his jazz. Right. We had music in every room, bathroom, kids. He was all into the science of his sound system. So when we got into DJing through my neighbor across the street, another guy at the youth center, which was in the martial arts where the S1Ws came from, we had, and there's another guy, my man, Ujima. We had our radio station at Roseville Youth, Youth Center. And that started to teach how to play records because we wanted to be like the, uh, I'm going to say the Gary Birds and the Jerry Bledsoe's in them. Right. And this is like, this is, oh, I got pictures. I showed mm-hmm. Chuck the pictures. Mm-hmm. I had. This is 74. So this was, this was the beginning of Spectrum. This is the beginning of Spectrum from right. our Youth Center. Okay. So you know what I'm saying? Our Youth Center had everything in there. You had the martial arts program. So mm. that's when W's came from. Right. You know, all of them. So we had that, the music, and then we had the talent shows, which Eddie Murphy hosted all the talent shows because he, he had the comedy down. Right. right. And so Keith this, would be on the turntables while Eddie Murphy was telling jokes. Yeah. So I want to turn that with, he's, I, it's, it's almost like he's practicing his, uh, his comedy while, while I'm DJing. He's right. coming and grabbing the mic, and we get down. So as it goes on from there, from the youth center, then my brother, we all moved into my mom's basement. That's when it got a little crazy. Because that's when we found this guy over right, here. Right, 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 right. My brother found him in the, at, um, Adelphi. at Adelphi 79. University. 79. Now, before that, I'm sorry, me and Griff was a crew. Okay. We was called the KGs. So when Griff left, I just took the whole name KG. And I was using KG, and Chuck gave it a new spelling, K-J-E-E. For the KGs on the Nightlighters group. Which was once again related to his cousin. I mean, his uncle. Yes. Because it's cool the gang cool and all that. Right, but anyway, right. that's so, a whole other thing. So it's, it's, another, you know, it's a whole other story. So we've been there, and we've been influenced by, I got to be straight, the Brooklyn the Brooklyn Cats and the Queens DJs. Mm. Like the Maboya. And you had Pete DJ Jones, God rest the, God rest right. the day. Flower, you had yeah, Flowers. Yeah, Flowers, Plumbers, Maboya, yeah. Ron Plummers. And Flowers Donnie was Grandmaster. Yeah, Flowers was the first. Flowers was the first Grandmaster. Yeah. Y'all know, then Flash got it from there. Right. So we Brooklyn. had we had all that going on because the the sound system came from the, the Jamaicans, Jamaican. the West Indians. Yeah. Yeah. So they all my most of them. That's what somebody brought up earlier about going into um, them going up into the, in Bronx. the Bronx. But ain't no Jamaicans in, in the Jamaican Bronx, Bronx. back then, especially yeah. then, like yeah. that. Like Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn is a planet. Yes, yes. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So they take the same technique. You know, no big pun intended. The yeah. same techniques <laughs> up, to, up to the Bronx. Yeah. And you ain't got Jamaicans delivering patois over dub plates. They yeah. taking James Brown with cats from the Bronx who were transplanted, you know, kind of like coming from uptown. Because look, regardless of the fact, Harlem is it. Yeah. Harlem is where you know, my parents are from 151st Street. Okay. So Harlem is just the birthplace in New York of mm-hmm. black people in this century, past century as we knew it. Right. Yeah. People moved up from down south, came to Harlem. They wasn't allowed in the Bronx. It wasn't really not. Maybe Brooklyn a little bit like in the But they 50s. were concentrated. They were concentrated. In the, in the, yeah, in the 50s. Right. They saw, you know, because these areas were like white, Jewish. I mean, the Bronx and Brooklyn. They were suburbs. They were they, they country. Yeah. You know, Jersey. Then all of a sudden, you know, you start having the white flight. They start moving further out, even further past Queens. Black folks moved up. Hey, I know somebody. Yeah, you move up too. Back in the 30s, where, where, where my parents were born in Harlem, 
you know, people were coming from the South, from Jim Crow. Right. Mm-hmm. Chuck, what kind of kid were you, man? I, that That's... What, more, I, listen, more listening than oh, talking. Oh, Chuck was... <laughs> yeah, let Keith talk about yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Chuck was the professor. You know, it, it was funny when we met Chuck. Chuck was in the baseball cards. Okay. And doing and, flies. And doing flies. flies. Yeah. And he's, you know, that that was his thing. Because we used to, me, Hank, um, and even Griff before he broke out and came out, we used to throw parties. You know, we was the, we was the hot DJs on Long Island. Right. Brother, my brother came up with the name Spectrum. We just took that. And from then, we was doing from every high school party, every youth center, every park jam. And we got into dealing with sounds from the Brooklyn Cats. Right. So I was, it was always about DJing. Yeah. You know, we used to throw the, you know, we threw our own parties. You know, you know, then all the gangsters, you know, all the, all the stick, we had stick up kids back then. They want to come stick us up at the party. Yo, they made money. Yo, it's just, nah, you know, but we knew, I knew everybody. Right. right. I knew everybody, and I used to take those kind of cats. Well, I'll get you in the party for free if y'all, you know. I'll introduce you to the girlies if y'all yeah, just the back, girl thing, back us up. Yeah. So we never had no problems with that. Right. You know, and then and Chuck's brother, too, <laughs> being his crew. Just, Chuck, that, your, your that, brother, was another, that was another story. Your, but. your brother ran deep, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, we could go on with these we stories, go, man. We like, go these like crazy. But the, look, the thing that we was always, we came from the rebellious 60s anyway. Yeah. So our parents were always radical anyway. Right. Just being black. Look, man. We ain't got to Google when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. got shot. We remember. You were there. We remember yeah, like, yo, man, this whole city was like in shakeup. And this happened down in Memphis. And New York was shook. It's like, and this and before I, the internet. And, yeah. and before I moved to Long Island, I was a part of the uh, New York City school system. So in the, the third grade, I remember missing half the year because the teacher was on strike. Mm. At that same time, they started to de-emphasize all the arts in all the schools. Mm. At the same time. So from 68 all the way up to 75, 76, you had no music in the school system because they took it out because they said it was over budget. We, and if you're in a black situation, you definitely ain't getting all the other appendages. Right. So out of all this came in, in the city, we moved out to Long Island. And one thing about Roosevelt, one square mile, mm-hmm. it's the, it was the largest concentration of people from everywhere. Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Manhattan. All loaded up in Roosevelt on square mile, 24,000 people by 1972. Yeah. Wow. So understand, this is another thing they planted to see. We was a part of a program called the Afro-American Af- yeah. Experience. Okay. Yeah, at Hofstra University. Hofstra University, which basically was a summer camp, but also Panthers, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters from the Nation of Islam, yeah. counselors, students, protesters. They all got, they really was the teachers and the counselors in this. Man, they taught us everything in this summer. Yeah, we got to play. We got to, you know, swim in the pool. We had the lunches. But the classrooms and the seminars were like deep, Afrocentric. Yo, let's get it right. Columbus didn't discover America. No, as a matter of fact, you might you might get a beat down if you come up with all this <laughs> America the Beautiful shit. Right, right, right. Yo, fast forward. I, I was 10. I think you was 8. Keith, Damn. yo, it was like, so the problem is, is like after that whole thing was over, we went back into the school systems. And at 10, 11, and 12, we were problems. Because you had, had knowledge yourself. Yo, we were, yo, man, Roosevelt school systems had problems after Afro-American experience in 1970 and 1971. They stopped the program in 1971. Mm-hmm. Tried to say it wasn't funded, but really they realized that, yo, man, we were, we were a problem. problem. But this seed stuck in us. Mm-hmm. This seed stuck in us like, yo, Murphy was a part of it like in 71 and 2, and they moved from Brooklyn. Yo, it stuck in us. And so we had knowledge of self, at least a sense of knowledge of self, not only from the times, 
and from our parents, but also from this program right. which galvanized it. And here's, a, here's a, the thing that ties us into the next section we get into. <laughs> Music was in all of our cribs. Yeah. Right. And when you play a Stevie Wonder or Odetta, Miriam McKeeba, mm-hmm. you know, James Brown, they were like your aunts and uncles. Yeah. So as you were in the crib and doing chores, it was all right for Isaac Hayes to talk about the movement. Mm. And you hearing like, whoa. And you know, you hearing all this stuff in the crib. They like your aunts and, and then, uncles. You know, another thing, you know, back then, we had my mother used to call them get-togethers. Friends, uncles, cousins, backyard, because we got backyards and everything. Always got that music there. Everybody's coming through, and all we did was party. That's where a lot of it come from. And understand, like he says, the Aretha Franklin's and them was growing up because every summer there was a backyard party, and we respected the music, and we understood because that's all it was. Yeah. Now, Chuck, you didn't necessarily want to rap. Like, from what I understand... You used no. to be at the spectrum parties because I was I was wanting I was to dance with the number one with, fan. You wanted to dance with the ladies, yeah. and then the, the the bum rappers would be stinking up the yeah. microphone. Yep, that's, yeah, how, I that's had, how I got started. Yeah, I got started. It was like it was hating the whack ass MC because I didn't talk. It's like we, you know, I'm an old school DJ. Like we blend. You make you rock the party. It wasn't right. too much cutting. You know, I was for Flash and Theodore and up in the Bronx. Right, and, right. So cats would try to get on the mic, and there would be lines. <laughs> There'll be lines, and you know me. I'm rocking the I'm rocking the hot break, and they fucking up the rhyme. I'm like, yeah. I got the I got the mic volume. I got the mic volume, and you hear fading them out. Yo 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 yo. And I don't know That's what like, it, I don't know what it was, man. Because you know what, this is the same thing with tracks. You know, a track if it's good, if you know, a, a MC can either enhance the track. Or just Stink stab it. it. Yeah, we yeah. call them track stabbers. It's like, yo, dude, really, this was beat all right murderers. without you. We call them beat murderers. Beat murderers. And back then, everybody felt, oh, I got some rhymes, so I could get on. Mm. I guess since I got rhymes, I could get on, on on this DJ. Dude, you don't sound good. Nope. And so I came in the thing. I started out, I just wanted to be a graphic designer. I was a big Spectrum fan. I followed them all over. You know, I danced with some girl, right? And if a whack dude get on... To break the that microphone. Your girl ain't trying to dance with you, cause the dude is just killing the party. He's whack. <laughs> so I started to get on the mic to shut whack MCs down because they was fucking up my shit. Yeah. I barely had any game in the first place, <laughs> and they fucking so you had a little, little game. game I, got little, you had, you, I got little game, <laughs> and they fucking what little game I got by being <laughs> whack on the fucking mic. So I started getting on the mic, and I think one time Hank heard me get on the mic at Adelphi. I was already a sophomore in college. And everybody, just because they came from the Bronx or whatever, thought they, they just got mm-hmm. they, 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 they good because they from the Bronx. I'm like, they just because you you don't do it. Somebody from the Bronx is good. You from there, but you ain't good. And back then it was like, it wasn't what you had in your rhymes so much as like, yo, most systems were inferior, so you got to sound like, you know, you really got to bring it. You can't have no light-ass fucking ballless sound to you. You better enhance and make the sound system sound better. Right. Cats would be like looking at me. It's like getting the mic after me and looking at the mic. I said, no, nah, ain't the mic, dude. You don't sound like this. Right. And so Hank said, yo, Hank Spectrum had the best sound. And he said, Say, yo, man, I need your sound without sound because it's about being better and sounding better. Everything was then it was about sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And back when I was young, I was a badass monkey. Keep tell you, I was a bad yeah. motherfucker, boy. Yeah. Back when I was 19. And it was, the was, M- and it was about the MC. Yeah, right. man. You know? Because you had to be able to spank the lyrics on the crowd, pull back, 
master the ceremony, go into a line, and you had to basically follow the lead of the DJ. Mm-hmm. And let me make a motherfucking mistake while while KG's on the wheel. He give me that fucking straight out look, like. But then later <laughs> on, we worked so well together. It was telepathy. It was, just, yeah. it was man. We want to talk about ma- yo. Before we made records, man, we we fucking smashed yo. We people. was you we was in the technology. Yo, now, I'm flat, loving the way y'all are smiling, it's, by the way. It's man, crazy. Because I'm telling you, crazy. All, the great, all the DJs, like people like, oh, so-and-so I'm at the tunnel. You. Every single DJ I used to hear, I'm like saying, and like in the 80s after we were recording artists, yeah. I'm like, man, they, they good because they good in this time, but they really not motherfucking smashing mm. shit like they should. If we were just DJs and just that. Oh man, it's like man, it was it'd be problems. Yo, we me, started, me and Keith, oh, yo, we, man, man we started taking it. that and the technology where like we can go forward to where I'm crazy in them right now. But we Flash had the beatbox, the you know the beatbox beat, yeah, is on the beatbox yep. going. Yo man, we came out with the beatbox and bassline, bassline, and what's what's the, what is the synonymous bassline today? The Rolling 303, TB 303. We had that rocking with records. They couldn't tell we was rocking records or or, or some new beat, and yeah, we had it crazy. Yeah, it was it was it was, it was Look, crazy. If we to do if we decided to do that, it would have been a, a problem. But it wasn't nothing. It wasn't no no career. We we wanted no, to get no. in, we wanted to get into syndicated radio in 1983 because yeah. we felt. That radio shows were bullshit. It was yeah. like, yo, man, these motherfuckers don't even know how to play shit. They, they sound whack, and they just terrible. You know, nothing worse than a mixed DJ who's just cutting shit the same way they did shit in 1980, and they just, it's just sloppy. Sloppy, sloppy, man, just yeah. sloppy. We, had a, we, we was great at programming shows okay. and parties. Right. You couldn't fuck with us. No. Chuck, man, who was your influences? MCs? Yes. Man, the buck stopped with Belly Mel. Because Melly Mel would get on the, t- you know, it was like, yo, man, it's like, yo, I don't really need a mic. So I, that was a great pattern. Um, the elocution of, of, of Kool Modique, who's the closest thing to a cyborg that you could find in the MC. So in, th- in those beginnings, man, it was like, man, forget about it. You know, showmanship, Curtis Blow. Mm. But, you know, no, but nothing was closer than, than, as far as DJ and MCs, the telepathy of Lovebug Starsky and DJ Hollywood. Uh-huh, right. There was DJs like DJ Divine. I mean, and and then when records start coming out, you know, I mean, like I said, man, it's nothing like it was. I mean, nobody like the Furious Five. Nobody. No, yo, was, man, look, the Furious Five is like Wilt Chamberlain scoring a hundred points, meaning that when he scored fifty point four points a season, mm-hmm. the next person was like Jerry West at thirty five. That was like the treacherous three in the code. They like, yeah, yeah, they, they superstars. Them, yeah. They they scoring thirty five points a game, but that grandmaster flash in the dip no motherfuckers they, they man. They scoring fifty points a game. Right. They was so far. It's the it's the greatest distance between the number one and the number two ever in hip hop and mm. rap history. Grandmaster Flash, every single one of those motherfucking MCs. Yeah, I'm talking. I was t- earlier today with Raheem. Raheem, Kid Creole, mm-hmm. Melly Mel. You know, Mr. Ness. Rest in peace, Cowboy. Know, and rest yep. in peace, Cowboy. Who, I mean, yeah. it's who, who sound, people are like, oh, Cowboy, what these? Man, Cowboy sounded like a motherfucker. Grab that mic. And yo, man, here's another thing. Back then, and t- the studios helped a lot of MCs because mm-hmm. they could come up with tricks. I mean, today is Studio rappers, you mean. That's why a lot of cats is afraid to do it live because they can't sound like they sound in the studio. Right. If you ain't got it, you just ain't got it. And that doesn't mean that you have to have a great voice like this because that was the standard then. 
I mean, Q-Tip has a distinct voice. Right. Jay-Z has, has a, a distinct, distinct voice. It's like a razor fucking blade. Right. You know? Uh, and then he, the way that he rhymes is like, do we call Molly? And it's all this shit going on at the same time or whatever, man. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's people that got that. You know, Farrell Munch. Mm. You know, it's just like the way he just like, and it's just like, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, like he's slow punching you in the ribs, man. Yo, I'm a, I'm a hip-hop connoisseur for fucking 40-some-odd years. I like to see hip-hop be like ESPN. Mm. I can watch ESPN. All day. Like, because you, cause you, you feel that you got peers as a fanatic. Right. I listen to Combat Jack show. I feel like, you know, what, what you and Pete do is like, wow, you know, you haven't dis- this is the couch. Because mm-hmm. this is the, the couch on discussion on something that's really seriously relative to the point. Right. That people really figure out, oh, man, ain't nobody trying to hear that bullshit. Oh, they listening, though. Well, <laughs> I'm like saying, ain't nobody. So wait, what, my question is like, so when did you do that survey right. that nobody outside your own bubblehead <laughs> <laughs> is qualifying you to come up with that bullshit? Yeah. You, you know what I find? Oh, see, there you go again. I see I'm saying, though. I'm like, uh-huh. You know what I find fascinating, man, jumping up, jumping a, a, a couple of years ahead, man, is when you guys finally, quote, unquote, got discovered. Right, Def Jam yeah. finally discovered when we you. became recording artists. When you guys became recording, and artists. understand, I'm the first person. They talk about bidding wars and all this other bullshit. I turned down Rick Rubin for two fucking years. I'm not doing no goddamn records now. Why? Because the rumor is. You felt you were too old at the time? Hell yeah, I was old. Like I was you, old then. That's my I, first record. I was 27, man. 27. <laughs> Listen to that. I know, right? You're 27 yeah, years but old. Most, most motherfuckers was 14. 14 at and 16. <laughs> yeah, when cats, be like, when cats be like, yo, Chuck, you sound old. Motherfucker, I've been old. <laughs> what the fuck you talking? Minute one, I was older than your fucking mom. You know that? I mean, I, I, I understand <laughs> what yo, you're saying. Yo, you sound like an old uncle. Motherfucker, I am that old uncle. At what 27. the fuck are you talking about? But it's, but it's crazy because you're right because... At the time, was the, the, old, the, the, the I, rappers that we identified with were in their teens. Chuck, you sound bitter. Dude, I was bitter on my first fucking line. <laughs> the fuck, Public Enemy number one. I was fucking... Shit. You, you, know, <laughs> you was an old man. I was an old that fucking... That was, was done because of... of a motherfucker that. came to a barbershop in 1984 and wanted to battle me. And here <laughs> I'm trying to hold MCs together. So I put out a fucking tape, played it on BAU, and silenced the whole motherfucking... Long Island, Queens, and all that. I'm like, oh, we don't want to fucking take it there. I'm like, you don't. You don't want this. It's like, you don't want to take, you don't want me to take the verbal burner to you. So just like, leave the shit alone and let me and my crew try to build a nice platform so everybody could live, breathe, and possibly maybe in the rest of the 80s eat. Right. So that's what started me off. So Rick Rubin had heard the tape from Ozzy's man. It was our good brother, brother, Dre Andre Brown. And also Bill Stephanie, who I went to school with, who was also the Andre Brown was, was Dr. Dre, right? Dr. Yeah. Dre, right. Matter of fact, when, when Dre was Dr. Dre, and we heard about the other Dr. Dre in California was doing like um, what was a world-class record, world-class world class record crew. crew, I kept telling Dre, I said, you guys got the same name, man. It's going to be a time where you'll see each other. <laughs> <laughs> but Dre was doing radio, and he was doing record crew. Right. Which was like 3,000 miles apart, but really could have been 50,000 miles apart, right? At the time, it was different. L.A. was a different country. Oh, man. L.A. didn't turn into, like, I mean, everything out of L.A. up until 87 was, you know, we're the L.A. Dream Team, which wasn't, you know, it was what it was. Right. You know, and Electric um, Kingdom. Yeah, it was like like, like a Arabian lot of that, Prince and all. Yeah, of that. Arabian yeah. Prince was my man, and you know, a lot of that, you know, Cybertron Electro. stuff, yeah, 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 Electro. Yeah. I mean, good shit, yeah. but it was that. It was different. 
You know, it wasn't until King T did um, Better Get a yeah, Gun. Yeah. I think he did in 86. What changed your mind, Chuck, about, about this, this deal, man? Man, nobody wanted to fucking hear no fucking thing about syndicated rap rate. Raps are syndicated rap. rap. No, we wanted to actually have a syndicated rap radio show in 1984. Wow. 80. We wanted to do what we was doing at BAU and do that across it because we felt that we could curate the art form and really build a platform for for MCs and DJs and, and treat this shit like rock. Right. But then what had happened is Def Jam started in '84. They came mm-hmm. with a different program than Sugar Hill, which was just some chaotic. I mean, you want to talk about the mishandling of geniuses. That whole Sugar Hill thing was a tra- You could go check it out. Uh, yep. I want my name back yeah. with uh, Wonder Mike and Master G when they talk about that debacle. So you had the splitting up of the greatest, one of the, probably the greatest group of all time, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five on some fucking bullshit. So Def Jam came with a different idea. Different aesthetic. Especially after, yeah, Teela Rock mm-hmm. uh, did It's Yours with Jazzy J on Street Wave. And this, that uh, shit it, sounded so yo, close to what we was listening to. Then, 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 then. Ah, boom. You remember Reg, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, you like 12 inch. Mm-hmm. It's Street Wave. It's really party time. You know, it's kind of like the Arthur Baker people, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Russell got involved with it. And, you know, you hear the story. So they built Def Jam. And so as they built Def Jam, we were still the radio station. Mm-hmm. Dre had replaced Bill, who moved on into Def Jam as an executive. Really, an executive for Def Jam back then meant that you, you had a desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you was handling all this we, shit. We're that talking about Bill Russell. Stephanie. Yeah, Bill Russell. Yeah, Russell, yeah. Ru- Russell, Russell getting dusted and, 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 and Rick is somewhere else, you know, just in the studio. You know. So somebody had to like hold it down. Heidi and all the people, they, they merged Rush into it. So at that particular time, Def Jam started to like kind of do a combination up in there of Okay, we we got a little. We got to manage our people. We got to. We're recording them. They on these different things going on. Houdini came out in, in, in 1984 with a whole different thing than they did in '83. That's we supported, and it was like, oh, so they got together with Larry Smith mm-hmm. and they made this shit. Then it was, you know, of course, the Run DMC thing on. Profile. Cloud, on, no, I'm just saying they went on steroids yeah. after '83. Because yeah. we did like Bill did the first Run DMC interview. Yeah, we saw it, and you know they came up to WBAU and not nervous kids, much, man, nervous young kids, young kids, right. man. So how do we get how do we get them to say something? We it might we it'd be easier playing two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so that world was close because we were right there in at Adelphi broadcasting, and they were from Hollis. Which is a ten minute ride, right, right, right. so they were all, you know, off tour. They would always come, kind of like want to hang out, and they would get the radio station that we would do over the weekend. Well, I used to do, and we used to do mm-hmm. tapes on BAU because it wasn't a lot of records. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of records by eighty three, eighty four, but motherfuckers wasn't giving us no records until right. we got into um, what pool? What pool we oh. got? Um, up in the Bronx. Al Pizarro Dude, and them. Because we uh, was a part of Disco Den and all these other. Intermetro was Yeah, man. They, those, they wasn't, getting, they wasn't like, giving us no, they no joints. They wasn't giving us no joints. We had to fucking disciple uh, Patrick Cowley records yeah. and, and, you, and give surveys on it. You know, disco. I mean, post-disco. Well, yeah, you got, you you got, got a three bunch, rap you got, joints. You got every DJ in New York in these record pools, and you got... You got like I call it a class system. If you're doing a lot of gigs, you move up. Right. You ain't doing a lot of gigs, you move down. And mainly, 
the mobile jocks. We the mobile jocks. Right. We ain't getting that much because right. we're not in that place where you're playing every weekend. So, you know, Al Piz- we got to the Al Pizarro record yeah. pool. I can't remember the name of his record, but he was up in the Bronx, yep. right up on Fordham Road. So we he was got, up in He got rap joints, yeah. and we were he like, yo, he had he rap joints. joints. So we was able to get, like, Run DMC, It's Like That, you know, Sucker MCs. They first, yo, man, this record was so hot on the beat, they used it for a Kawasaki commercial. Remember mm-hmm. that key? Yep. Which one? They, they didn't play the vocal. Nah, it's they like did that. a Kawasaki motorcycle Rose commercial. Like so every time you were here, ninety-eight point seven kiss, you had tat tat tat, tat. Come to Kawasaki <laughs> motors, and they were like, "Yo, but they ain't playing the vocals, but it's in the commercial." <laughs> Where the How vocals the, at? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, long story short, Def Jam then started to actually do some things that we were like, "Okay, we're not getting into recording this shit. We doing we remember when we did something with Vanguard." which was lies and check out the radio. That was only to boost us as radio jocks. And that's a whole story in itself. Another story before that (laughs) was with Key Matic. I oh, was yeah. a DJ for that. And Breaking the Space. Hottest, had the hottest B-Boy breakdance record. Yeah. Breaking the Space. So we were kind of toy with records, but we... We that wasn't was, your focal point. Man, we had three rooms of records. How <laughs> yeah. the fuck? We got three rooms of records yeah. in, our la- in our lab. Your own records. I, oh. no, I, I, no, three rooms of records yeah. that we got to categorize, play. Yeah. So what big fucking deal is... And then we interviewing people who was like, yeah, I had a record deal, but really, yo, give me a ride home. Yeah, right. I'm like, yo, man, I'm not this, getting that, in that, that shit is not hot. too right. old to get in that shit. Yeah. This is the shit we want to do. But then what happened is Def Jam start... They, but they we, start, did, we did go down to Bobby Robinson... Over at Enjoy. We went to Bobby Robinson back in 1981, though. Yeah. You know, that's a whole other story. I mean, Bobby Robinson, Enjoy Records, man. We go there. He's, like, got this little dark Damn, you almost ended up on on, on Enjoy? (laughs) Nah, man. Nah, he was like, he was like, this is is whack. It was like, man. (laughs) This was whack. Yeah, it was like, it was was one of those things. But but I'm, (laughs) I'm saying that by 84, 85, it started to look like something. My whole movie. thing is, man, a, I want to see, and my whole thing was, as we were, as fans, I was like, fuck Van Halen, man, this rap shit is stronger than that shit. Right. We want to fucking kick ass, and a, a Grandmaster Flash, I saw Grandmaster Flash and Nassau Coliseum. Rick James. With, no, I, not with Rick oh. James, I saw Flash with um, Jody Watley and them, Shalimar. Shalimar. No, maybe not. Uh, no, it was Rick James, man, they Rick opened James. up for Rick James. They opened for Rick? Yep. At the, Coliseum. at the Coliseum. Melly yeah. now had a baseball Mellie, bat. Yep. So that was like, you know what? These dudes is banging this fucking arena. Then I used to hear stories of, yeah, Flash is on tour with these R&B groups and funk groups, and they trying to cut the mic cords on them because they was in the spectrum, and Slave had to play after them and just was just hating on them because Flash wore the fucking crowd out. <laughs> you know, after a while, say, party! You know, and by the time Slave come on... Look, Everybody want, you know, it's like no, no, I, walking no, down no, the street. We love those records, but Flash fucking destroyed this yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Everybody go the fuck home. So we would hear stories about that. And I was like, yo, put a hip hop cat next to a rock cat, man. We blow them out any Yo, anytime. man, it's like it's going to be a problem right. if they do it right. And run and them um, in 84 to Fresh Fest. Fresh Fest won. Yes. Mm-hmm. I saw Fresh Fest. Jay, Jam Master Jay got me tickets. Cause I, he was a uh, BA, we was with BAU. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, we was together, right? Nah, I wasn't. Not, not, that, no, year. not that year. Mm-hmm. Drove down to Philadelphia. Keith, you ain't get the tickets, man. Nah, I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I was, He's probably I'll with some him, chick. I was taking care of my daughter, trying <laughs> to take care of my daughter, something like that. Well, yeah. Well, Jay got me a ticket, right? And Jay actually, Jay, let me tell you, man. You want to talk about 
a real dude. You, yeah. you know, man, it, let me tell you, Chuck D for president, I don't know what it is. Jam Master J. Keep it tell you, mm-hmm. Jay, man, was that dude, was man. That dude? Jay was that, Scott LaRock, he was that dude. Mm. You know, Eric B is that dude. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, dudes that really have great integrity about what this shit should be in a high standard and low tolerance for bullshit. Jay, man, was a dude, man, seriously, of his, of his word. He was entrenched into this. He was serious about this thing. He wanted to see it elevate. And he was the guy that galvanized and pushed Run and D. Because mm-hmm. they were younger than them and they were a little bit less street. He pushed them to fucking smash a goddamn arena out. I went down the Philadelphia Spectrum. It was 20,000 people up in there. And Fat Boys, Houdini, Beastie Boys opened up because they was on the purple label Def Jam. And Run DMC closed it out and absolutely smashed the damn walls out of that spot. I was like, yo, this shit is rock now. Yeah, I want to actually be somebody that helps this. But they wasn't hearing the syndicated rap thing. Every the business is in New York. We ain't getting to LA. They not trying to hear what this can do. And so our only route as Rick Rubin would get tapes from Run and DMC and, and Ad Rock and Mike D of what we were doing at BAU and the tapes that we would do that to comp mm-hmm. you know, to compensate for the lack of records we have. Right. I would do a tape every once in a while as a promo for the radio station, but it'd be just as good as a record right. that we would make. Yep. Right? Public Enemy number Public one was a promo one. for yeah. that. They wanted to say, yo, man, we could, man, shoot, this dude sounds like Melly Mel. We could, you know, and the first thing, you know, Dre had already went over to Def Jam first. And remember mm. this, original concept yeah. went original to Def concept, Jam yeah. and invented bass music. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm going to say that again. Dr. Dre of the original concept from Westbury, Strong Island, goes to Def Jam and invents the concept the aura of bass music. Mm. Why Keith the accent with this? He he went in and got the rolling, not the not the same rolling that Bambada used in Planet Rock and 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 looking for a perfect beat, but the what was the one where he where Drake came in the studio and said this bass kick exp- expands? What was that? The rolling nine oh nine? I think it was a nine oh nine. And he showed Rick how to use it, and therefore the first song that you heard with extended bass. Because Dre was actually building with Run DMC all the time, mm-hmm. was what? Two. Together forever. Together, yeah. One, two, one, two, and I say. <laughs> yeah. When the original concept after that gets signed to one of the first Def Jam deals. That now was a knowledge we? Knowledge me, but what was on the B side? Can you feel it? Can you feel yeah. it? Yeah. Right? Then later on in 1985, they released the record that really invented Miami bass, and that was Can't uh, Unpump That Bass. Mm-hmm. Pump that bass. You know, it's disgusting how they have just vanished the Dre off of. Yeah, oh, Dre, yo, you don't have TV raps. No. Dre invented. Oz is here to, to the test, and mm-hmm. Keith is here to the test. He invented the bass, sustained bass. You no, know, he didn't invent the machine, but he used it in rap records. Right. And from that point, Luke and them took it to the next to level. The next and, level yeah. You know, all Shy D and all those guys, and they invented the stuff, which later on became the father of Crunk and all that. But to make a long story short, Rick. Through the process of Bill being in there, Dre getting in the Def Jam, we were still trying to do the radio thing. Dre was doing the thing at BAU, and then Wild Man Steve took over. Yo, from that point on, it was yo our, our tapes of BAU were being played on the road on those Fresh Fests. So, so, so basically, your whole crew—not your whole crew, but people in your crew that was instrumental around y'all 
were already there. They went in the Def Jam. Right. Mm-hmm. They were we like was the like, pioneers. Man, we were like, I the don't settlers. know, we not going up into that. But Bill became an executive over there. And I remember this thing clear as night because me, Hank, and Bill sat in the car where we realized that this radio thing ain't going to happen. We ain't never going to get on Kiss. BLS is going to be about some BS. Mm. And, you know, and we not going to go further doing the radio. And we, we need to, what you know, we still going to be in hip-hop no matter what. And Rick would call my house every single week. Like, I want to do record. Matter of fact, he threatened Bill. He said, you're fired unless we get Chuck over here. So his first suggestion was to have me rap with Dre with original concept. Wow. It's like, and I was like, nah, I got like my, my own. Because we, we're related. Right. We're all, but, but we got your own. We got our own thing. Yeah. And, and. <sighs> Finally, it got to a point where they invited me to the to the concert where they put the Adidas, Adidas in the air yeah, yeah, yeah. at the at garden. The garden, yeah. And so they they invited me and Hank. Did would you you come with us? Yeah, me and Hank were there. And you know, and 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 Jay and D and Ron was like, "Yo, look, I mean, it's twenty thousand people Dude, out look there. What we you doing? Not, we, this is what we're doing. Yo, yo. We're not telling you not to do the thing that you do, <laughs> but this shit right here is real. So real shit. We done did two fresh fests." This is raising hell. Yo, come come on. And I was like, well, I got to figure out a way. I'm not going to be this individual one person. I, you know, man, I'm too old to be doing that shit. I got to figure out what fits me and what actually brings in the team. And I already had Public Enemy number one circulating as a tape they was interested in. We was already Spectrum City. We were known in our whole region for being platform for DJs and MCs to get their start. And we did radio better than anybody ever did it. We learned from the world-famous Supreme Team. Mm. We learned from the Africa Ben Baden Zulu Beats. We learned from what Mr. Magic was doing. We learned from what Chuck Chillout and Red Alert was doing. We put it all together in a fantastic radio show. But big fucking deal. So we called it like the Great Surrender when we said, okay, we can do this type of thing. And the public enemy thing came from the Spectrum City thing because we said we don't want to be Spectrum City because we kind of did that, you know. In the, the, it's like, and Hanks just said, yo, sh- you know, call yourself public enemy. Yeah. And that, because the public enemy number one was, it was, already there. was the was tape a- from 84 yeah. that I said, well, cats were coming after me like I'm public enemy number one. Mind you, Hank came up with the name Spectrum too. Yeah. <laughs> one more question before we go to a break, man. You know, because the, 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 we got the old man break, right? No, no, no. We no, take a break you, all the time. Once you cross the fifty no, no, yard, no, 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 once you cross no, the fifty no, yard we, line, you got to hit the bathroom three the, times an hour. I got my depends on. You, you got the deal, and you fought for flavor. I fought for everybody. But let me ask you specifically: uh-huh. What was it about flavor that y'all saw? Keep his flavors, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the mom jokes. <laughs> That flavor had character. Yo, yeah, flavor had that. flavor. Yo, flavor, flavor was had so much character. We we gave him his own show on the radio. Yeah, he had like, his own he, show. Right. Matter of fact, he had his own show so much he would go into Penn Station and just <laughs> tape Penn Station. Walking in Penn Station, that would be the intro to his show. Then he'd be bringing. He have a bag of tapes full of himself. Like you want to talk about narcissistic. But he was, but he was narcissistic because nobody else ever gave a fuck about him. Right. And and flavor, we became closer because my father, you know, we we my father, you know, did nine jobs. So he started this furniture moving company. Right? All of us worked in it. Get the U-Haul, rent the U-Haul, yep. move furniture around New York. 
And Flavor worked with me moving furniture in New York. Yep. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm driving a U-Haul truck, or he's driving it, or Keith one day yep. might be driving it, moving furniture. I mean, expensive, like, you know, rich white folk furniture, right. like, Oh, you broke this little part of this corner, and and it's sixteen thousand dollars. I said that piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? And understand where I come from is you know my father's a man, man. You know what I'm saying? My father's like you know, my father would be like this. If he call you, you cannot. I don't give a fuck how far you are. If he call you, you cannot say I didn't hear you. He said, "Didn't you hear me?" And I'm you want to talk about the voice of God? <laughs> Yo, my father, would he yell at you? Be like, yo, man, really? Seriously? Just beat me. Do not yell at me. <laughs> Panels be shaking. So people say, well, where you get the voice from? That That is something that you either have. That comes from that. Right. And my father's a man's man. He's like a, a father of many just in his great spirit. He's the, just best. He's the best man. My father's Superman, straight as that. Mm-hmm. And could get, I could get co-signed. So I mean, to this point, if I'm twisted, I'll go to my father. And I'd be telling people, i say, yo, man. I'm sorry, that might be my advantages that I have a father who's really seriously that dude. Right. But it's my obligation to my society and my community that I take what I've learned from my father and spread it to those mm. that might have not had that. Right. Just like my education. My education I got from six years in the college, it was my obligation to spread my education for free to those that I'm able to come in contact with. That's our obligation as human beings to connect and try to build, be civilized and grow that. So that's where that comes from. As we drove trucks, me and Flavor became close, gave him a job. We, we, you know, you want to talk about a reality show? That could have been a reality show oh. just in itself. Yeah. Why we driving trucks? So that's why you see, you hear us talking in public enemy number one because the shop was in Laurelton, Queens, and we mm-hmm. had to drop off furniture, and we came mm-hmm. up with the routine on the beginning of the song of public enemy number one, and then I did the song, and he closes it out. P- pretty much like the James Brown, Bobby Bird type of thing. Right, right, and right. that's how that whole thing started. And Flavor, one mm-hmm. thing we knew, I don't care who it is, since 19-whatever, you can't take your eyes off him, mm-hmm. and you can't take your attention off of him. Right. This dude... This dude is to be seen and heard. You like really seriously? I like to be heard, not seen. Yeah. This dude like to be seen, seen and heard, and heard. Right. And he will suck the stardom. I don't give a. I don't give a damn who's in the room. <laughs> he will suck the stardom out of any room. He will straight, straight up and down. I don't care who's there. It could be Jay Z. It could be the Barack Obama. The minute you yo, see the, Flav, yo, everybody's looking at Flav. You can't take your eyes off. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we we just said, yo, man, this is how. Black families was in right. Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's coming out of a house. Mm-hmm. Yo, this person's going to college, and his little brother or the big brother will stick you up. Yo, Eddie Murphy is like, yo, man, yo, Eddie will tell jokes and Charlie will rob you. I mean, it's like <laughs> if Vernon wanted so, to be so a rapper. It was, a concept, it was really a concept of this family. Liv Griff lived in back of me. You know, we was like, we was like that. We played football together. Yep. Flavor was on my football team for, for one season, Pee Wee, and also as the years went over, He's four years older than me. I can get on my team. <laughs> you my brother's age. <laughs> Yo, that's you know, crazy. Yo, and, and, and because he was a small guy. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and another thing, man, back then, it wasn't one of those things. That, so uh, fathers compensated as coaches and all that. That's why I say sports is important. Right. Another person's father will whoop your ass. Yeah. Man, fathers will be in that ass. Yeah. And this is one of the things that, like, fast forward. 40 years later, like, Number one, baseball. I mean, you know, you, you, yo, the 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 
the the boys outnumber the fathers. Back then, the fathers didn't outnumber the boys. There was so many of them so that they was like was they were just a bigger posse. Yeah. And I and I'm telling you some straight up stuff. I like live in the West too, right? The Latino fathers mm-hmm. are so posseed out. I'm talking about like from Mexico and Ecuador and all that. Yo, when they their kids be playing soccer, you be like seeing twenty kids playing soccer. 40 fathers. I'm like, yo, so they, yo, man, and then, you know, they got the gangs of Latino and low rider gangs, but it's like 40 fathers and uncles. So they like, yo, man, we not, we not having our children intimidate a motherfucking thing. Right. These young boys will follow order. But fathers don't, don't outnumber young black men. Yeah. That, that shit flip flop over the last 40 flipped, years. What also flipped over the last 40 years? 100,000 black men in prison in 1970. Almost two million black men in prison in 2014. I mean, the math don't lie. Math is God. Something's up with that. We know we could figure out, and, and really, we could diagnose the facts. But like I said, man, there's models to look at. And you know what? Here's another thing with Latino fathers. Yo, man, these dudes all work together in a crew. Yeah. 12 deep. They be out even on Long Island, like mm-hmm. or from different parts, like, you know, Ecuador, Colombia. Venezuela, Columbia. you know what? Waiting outside the, the, the Home Depot, right? To be picked up in van. Yo, man, they, they work 14 deep. Possibly. The last time I seen black men work 15 to 16 to 20 deep in the public, that kind of fucked me up. I was in Johannesburg. Mm. I was like, Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm, you know, coming out of a spot. We getting ready to, you know, to do this gig in Soweto. And I'm like looking at this building going up. And I'm looking in this building and it's like, oh, there's a brother there. There's a brother there. They got hard hats. Dudes got it. I'm like, damn, this every, oh, fuck it. I'm in Africa. <laughs> but I was fucked up for a minute. I was like, yo, man, they 30 deep doing every, yo, man, like constructing this built, yo. So it was like, it's another thing about Africa. Like, you know, like in the States, because one thing we realize in the United States, and this ain't America, it's the United States of America. When you go like way in the cut, and your expectations, like, I ain't going to see no black people because I'm way in the cut. I'm northwest Missouri and right. shit. You drive, let's say, you underneath Swaziland and South Africa. You going from Johannesburg or whatever, Durban or whatever, and you way in the cut, and the shit look like Kansas, right? And you way in the cut, and you stop at a spot, and you're like, man, they make a pizza. And you go to the spot, and, you know, you see a white person, and, you know, okay, you know, they own the spot. But everybody in the back cooking the food is like, everybody black. Mm-hmm. And the whole, it's like, wow, we way in the cut. Oh, fuck, I'm in Africa. Africa. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's the thing. You know, here somehow people watch TV and think that black people are a majority here. Nah, man. We still a minority still here. Minority Numbers here. like a, you wouldn't believe. Yo, I don't care how many you know ESPN highlights you're looking at. I don't care how many rap songs you hearing. How many news stories you see? How many news stories you seeing? Like yo, it's like United Colors of Benetton commercials. Everything is all like, oh man, this is one big happy harmonious family of color. It's like yeah, as you project it. Now also, if you want to look at ratios, look at all the production 
teams that are putting these commercials together. Mm. They not black hardly. They ninety nine percent probably white. Yep. You might have somebody working in there, maybe an okay. Asian. Yeah, you know, there's a black guy kind of like as a gaffer or grip or whatever. <laughs> you okay? A you, know, PA, right? yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's almost like the whole representation is kind of like beyond the reality of it, which kind of twists people in their minds to think that this is all even, even Steven, and we high in numbers, and that's why it's derogatory to say that we're going to use the N-word like it's the one-word anthem because we can do it because we got the body to handle that. It's like you don't got the body to handle that. And then you at the end of the day, really in the middle of the day, you have a nation actually saying the same things to you that the Ku Klux Klan said to you in 1853. Mm. Mm. And what's this girl? Iggy, I, don't, I can't even say her last Iggy name. People were thinking I'm going, I ain't going in on this girl. I ain't going in on an artist. I never go in on an artist. I just, you know, somebody had the Instagram and put it on Twitter. And she was like, these are my ends. And it had B.O.B. and, and, and um, um, T.I. And, and somebody else in it, or Drake. And then all of a sudden, the Twitter police said, Chuck, didn't you know that that was a, a fake, you know, <laughs> fuck I'm supposed to know. That's why I started playing my, I'm fucking 53, man, fuck out of here. So anyway, number two, I don't know this girl from yeah. like a, you know, a, 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 a box of dandelions, man, right? I ain't got nothing against her. All of a sudden, cat's vertebrae start collapsing. Oh, man, you should have checked that out before you tweeted that. Oh, so now we got sensitive fucking tweet readers now, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know what? I just said simply, I said, here's somebody, a court plantation artist, who's saying a line out of 1853. Did I curse her out? Nope. Did I call her this or that? I don't know jack shit about this girl, and I have nothing against her, and I wish her all the best. But don't throw me. I'm not kicking dirt on her or nothing. I just threw that out there. Do you understand? I was reading tweets like BT, Chuck D goes in on Iggy Azalea. You know, <laughs> uh, then I, I mean, I got reports from like 16 different <laughs> urban radio stations that all reported on this bullshit piece of news that I said, this is so insignificant and don't mean a goddamn thing. Now you got this little girl. All this, all she probably crying in the corner trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, you know, I have nothing. I have nothing against Peter Roy. I have nothing against Ebro or Yo Bro or whatever the hell. <laughs> yo, man, this is yo, man. Really, you, you really, we talking about a bigger thing here. Right. And um, when they made that uh, 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 an issue, I said, you know what? It, it, I'm just typing. I'm not saying anything. But when I do talk, it's going to be on the Combat Jack show and. Chuck yeah. the Red yeah. repeat about this, and, yeah. and, and 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 that's what it is. So if this got to be, I really didn't have any intention to come and talk more than two hours. But you know, how long we been talking? Man? I'm sorry, right, man. This could be what a box set, I we, guess. We, no, 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 we, we not done yet. We not, no, we not done yet. Set. We not done no, yet. Man, they, don't be scared to ask me. Any I'm not question. scared. I'm not no, scared. Done, listen, well, listen, this is going to be a box set. <laughs> it might have to. Yo, be. listen, man. I didn't do more interviews than anybody. I don't, I don't care. Look, I was the. Our interviews used to be better than motherfuckers' shows. <laughs> it's a for real. It's like, yo, man, sitting. You know, I've, I've sat down in front of NBA reporters. I've seen you on C- CNN. I've seen yo, you man, back with, in the night. Arsenio, all of that, B. And then, you know, really, it's magnified when you go to other countries. Yeah. And then you got to talk to interpreters and all that. But it's all been for the art form. Yes. You know, and if I come out and say certain things like when Jay and Kanye did Niggas in Paris. Right. I just thought that, um, like I said, uh, around the world, 
I, you know, Kanye's a little, you know, he's an eclectic dude, so I'm pretty sure that this came off an American in Paris, and his mother probably introduced him to this fine theatrical film or whatever, and he probably flipped it or whatever. And every artist has a right to say what they want to say. Even right. if they want to make the N-word their anthem, fine. But I, my, my thing I get upset is at those that have a financial endorsing initiative behind them as a company or as serious as mm. a broadcasting situation to propel that way past anything else that anybody else is doing. So the dumb and young yourself down into a zone where sometimes with people like, like only old people make up things like 50s, the new 40 and 40s, the new 30, because it's telling <laughs> the young person like, what was 20, the new 10 is 10, the new zygote embryo. I mean, what the <laughs> hell does that mean? It's like you want to gravitate and elevate upward and be able to take the present like it is a gift. Therefore, they're synonymous present and gift. So I'll be telling people all the time. I said, I could save I could save what I got to say. And I don't want my word to be taken as the gospel, I'm not the moral compass here, but one thing we do come from an area of our word is our bond. Right. I mean, and you know, that, that was the MC code. Your word got to be your bond. bond. And when I look at cats, I say, you spitting, but do you spit what you believe? If you got to really, do you spit from within? Because to me, hip hop is my military and rap is my religion. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I, I spit what I believe. When it all failed and all falls out and fails and all over and done, me and Keith still gonna be trying to figure out what the fuck we do with some music anyway. Mm. Just to, we did this shit because we didn't want to fucking be bored. We threw parties on Long Island because we knew if we didn't do this shit in Long Island on a cold ass day in February 1981, <laughs> hanging flyers for three miles, freezing our hands, the stable, there ain't gonna be shit happening that weekend or whatever. It wasn't no radio station gonna be blessed, no hip hop. Concerts. No one's gonna do it anyway, man. If we didn't do it, the shit wasn't not, not gonna happen. Yeah. You either do it or it ain't nothing. And just take that across not only all the spots in this country, but take it all across all the spots in the world. There's an incredible world of hip hop MCs, DJs, and this is what we do at Rap Station. We go to Rap mm-hmm. Station, and we are our number one platform. We're ten station channels deep. We are like sixty shows deep with many shows. And we try to provide service and platform to somebody who's trying to figure out how to get into it, how to stay into it, and how to be able to, to, to say, man, I got a piece of art. I want somebody to talk about it and, and help me project it. Not, not using the buzzwords like get it out there. Because I was get it out. I mean, you get it out there by throwing it out the window. I mean, no. Be able to talk about it like it's some shit. Right. You know? And so what? It's like it's the equivalent like an ESPN of showing – the the NBDL highlights You're like oh the Sioux Fall Sky Force versus the the you know the the Rockland the Rockford um Amigos <laughs> and they showing these ball players playing minor league ball but that's a service somewhat somewhere right you're doing something and saying wow that somebody's doing it and 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 you're saluting them and applauding them and and then there's so many artists who are veterans that never stop that's why it was so brilliant y'all talking to Bumpy. Bumpy, Bumpy is the closest thing to, you know, it's like in comics. Remember the dude in the Fantastic Four, Super Scroll, and he had all the yeah, Fantastic yeah, yeah, Four yeah, powers. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. Bumpy Knuckles. That's Bumpy Knuckles. <laughs> like, Bumpy Knuckles and, is a rap and, rap game and, Super Scroll. Right, right, right. <laughs> he plus, he, plus he's an Incredible Hulk in the thing that's the Raptor one. So it's like this dude is like the Big MC, dream. DJ, engineer, producer, producer. Bodyguard, <laughs> he was a bodyguard for himself. Shooter, he's a shooter. shooter. Yo, man, it's like 
This dude's an all-around just super scroll and, and, and a goon. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yo, man, it's like, and and, and nobody can say uh, what we, he can't get. He can't get a conversation on Hot ninety seven. Just talk about an update, right? Farrell March, they got nothing that could be played on Hot ninety seven. Come on, his, his nothing. His album Farrell March was on this on the show yo. earlier this mm. year. And we, we we played his album, PTSD, man. Yeah. And I think that's one of the best it's, it's, albums yo, of the year. Elder Sensei and Sadat X mean nothing. Mm. There's no female MCs anywhere. Mm. By no, you know, it's like, what, Rap City can't get played in, in, for for an hour a day? Right, right, right. I'm going to tell you about playlists. You know, when Bumpy said the playlist is, is shorter than a three-year-old child, I, yo, man, I had to cut my shit off. I said, like, man, I'm stopping right here. But really, come on, man. Yeah. It's like, yo, you playing 20 songs, and, it is, and, it, and it's such an incestuous relationship that it's just like, it's incest. You got the same artists like yeah. collabing with each other. I'm like, this is, this is financial business incest. It's like, <laughs> I heard these people, I heard that, I heard that they play Public Enemy records. Dude, we're not asking you to play Public Enemy. Wait, who's you, playing Public Enemy? I heard they play Public yeah. Enemy records the yeah. next day, like yeah. the Pisa. Dude, play nothing. I want nothing from you. I, personally, don't want you to touch anything. No, no. It doesn't even fit nowhere. It's like, ugh, ugh. What are you going to do to the hip-hop and represent hip-hop, not only in hip-hop, but in this region, to be reflective on your signal? Mm. Be playing no goddamn public enemy, man. It's what the, it doesn't make no sense at all. Well, you are, oh, oh I'm, it's all good. Yeah, the fight's off. Don't, don't, playing, so don't believe the hype. Basically, basically, basically don't react, act. No, I'm going to see you at 3 p.m. <laughs> you know, it's like you missed the point. Uh, Rosenberg apologizing to me misses the point. You have to, you know, I said, get it right or be gone. Now, I might make a song about it and write some lyrics about it because I'm a songwriter. I'm, I'm a, but I ain't trying to seriously have... You're not my peer. I'm 20 years older than you. I'm not. I'm in a. This is, dude, this is not this about you. This is when things like, like for I saw Raheem today. I said, Raheem, man, out of a trillion rappers, you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They don't give that shit away. And then they to be looked upon just because you ain't in it. It's like, man, I don't be following that shit anyway. So what do you follow? You know, it's like that shit is because they're at the top of their craft, craft at the top of their genre. And and it's accepted as tenure by their peers. Public Enemy in our own group, in our lane, is nodded by our peers. Yes. You don't play last at the end of a, of a tour because you asked for it. They defer you to last so you close it out because you can. Because you headline. And you have to carry them around. Yep. If, if I had to say one thing about the Jay-Z, Kanye's, the Looters, our, our, our super MCs that I dig so much, you motherfuckers should be carrying around at least 14 to 15 MCs around the United States of America at least mm. doing tours. But if you just, I mean, how much money do you want to stack for yourself? There need to be three tours. There could be three tours going around the United States now and playing arenas and theaters, but you need the top dogs to take to the, everybody them. around. Right, right. Come on the fuck. That's a good you, point, man. You know, once again, let's go to ball, right? LeBron goes to Cleveland, right? Open shit up, man. Anybody could go to Cleveland now. They'll do what? Compliment. But LeBron got to go to Cleveland. Yeah. Because all those complimentary players going to Cleveland before LeBron, it might not work. 
It might not work. Yeah. Let's go to this break, man. Let's go to this break. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show.com. Cheer. P.E. in effect, y'all. F your radio, F your TV show, F your podcast. Be right back. Internet, we need your support. Head on over to iTunes and search for the Combat Jack Show. There's tons of episodes there for you to check and listen to on the road, in your room, wherever you're at. But we need you to subscribe. We need you to comment. We need you to rate. And we need you to tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you, Intense. Don't be a fucky bird. Combat Jack Show. Hey, yo, Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the combatjackshow.com. Cheer. We got Chuck D in the building. We got Keith Shockley in the building. Cheer. Public wow. enemy number one. Listen, man, you know. Keith said I was talking too much. <laughs> You was talking though, but that's all right. I mean, like, we, we don't like get you to child. we don't get you to talk every day. This is a rare occurrence, man. And like I said, man, this is a big thing for us, man. So you I really politely you politely requested. Your audience said something. I mean, I really hope and wish that we can get maybe a million voices or a hundred voices in New York to be able to air their thing beyond a, a combat jack. So yes. we put pressure on. The airwaves to be accountable and responsible to all these fantastic voices that have contributed to this art form over the past forty years. They, yeah. they you know, the, the silencing of them on the radio of the craft is 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 really seriously it's, the it's, crime. It's a a criminal, crime. yeah, it's a crime. It's criminal. Now, cats have said that you know you've influenced them this and you've influenced them that, but you know one thing I I, I find amazing, man, because I was listening to one of your older interviews is like really how you guys influence like the explosion of the west coast i don't think cats really put two and two together like you know i used to listen to like the nwas and be like yo how did dr dre recreate this bomb squad Mm -hmm. sound he's he's the first super scroll and and i found out that i found out that you know like like the like you had two copies of it takes a nation of, uh-huh. of, of millions, uh-huh. and you gave one copy to Easy E and one, and one copy to Dr. Dre. Yeah, and um, Glenn Friedman had just bought it out because he did the cover. Glenn Friedman did all those those classic. You Def know, Glenn's covers. been on the show. He has. Yeah, Glenn has been on yeah, the show. Glenn is the only photographer who wanted a royalty off of his artwork. Ah. <laughs> he tried to negotiate a royalty through us to Def Jam. That sounds like Glenn. Yeah, it did, did not work. And Glenn was pissed for 50 <laughs> years about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's Glenn's work. And so when Glenn showed me, he came out to Las Vegas. And, and we were playing Las Vegas and also in the wings. I think we were playing with LL and Def Jam mm-hmm. Tour. And it was Mike Tyson that was there, daring anybody to step on his foot. <laughs> it was John, it was John Lil and Houdini. What do you mean? He was really daring cats? Yo, man, Mike. Mike back in the days would walk. It'd be, he'd be with, in a crowd right. and don't step on Mike's foot. He'd go Brownsville on you for real. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I might be a heavyweight champion of the world, but, you know, it's I'm a problem. I'm still Brooklyn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and then the thing about it, Houdini was back in the wings, too. And 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 um, Mike was up there, Jawil, Jawil, and Jawil was like not trying to correct me. Jawil, Jawil, and then you didn't hear nothing like, nah, man, it's ja- no, it was none of that. It was good. Like, you good with that, right? It's good. That's my name. And I, I had a copy of Takes a Nation. It was July 1988. It showed Easy because they were on the bill, Easy and Dre. And then um, from that, you know, because before that. You know, they had 
NWA and the Posse. Right. And myself Boys and Daddy, yeah, and, and, and myself and Daddy O, who who is really one of the under acknowledged professors of this art form. He could break, man. Daddy O is just like a gene mm-hmm. scientist, Hank Shockley, scientist of this thing. And Daddy O and I used to, we were on the, the Def Jam tour, and we was really the first scouts that would actually acknowledge MCs outside the New York area. Mm. So we understood where NWA came from. They knew that that they what they were on Macola Records. No record company was really going to give MCs a chance out there. Right. And they happened to group three or four different situations: the CIA crew, which had Ice Cube, um, the Feel of Fresh crew. They had uh, the DOC, and that's where NWA came out of. And they would wear clock. They wore clocks on the cover with and baseball yeah, I hats. Yeah, remember that initially. Now, I'm one of the first people to really hold down the baseball hat because everything in the '80s was about hats. Mm. And, you know, Ella had the Kango, you know, Run DMC, DM, uh, they had the fedora. Fedoras. So it was about hats. You had, you I wore, like Beastie Boys messed around with right. the hats a little bit on the side or whatever. But I wore the baseball hat because of my hero is Roberto Clemente. Mm. And that's where the P comes from. Now, I've seen people like Styles P and Puffy they wear the pirate hat. But the pirate hat, I'm a ba- I came from a baseball background because baseball was the black American's game. To actually make social, you know, changes and moves as well, because we wasn't allowed to play baseball. So right. Jackie Robinson was that in tenfold over. So fast forward, Roberto Clemente is my hero because he transcended baseball to help, you know, human beings, especially in the in the area of South America and the Caribbean, Central America, and he united and unified Latin America instead of just being looked down upon as being these non English speaking, eh, you know. And he made this country respect Latin American ball players for the humans that they were and the people. I thought that was to me that was honorable. I didn't know that. Right? And, I, and I thought I could actually say, well, if I'm going to be any type of person, I'm not looking to be famous or infamous or whatever. But that's a great model for me to model myself after. Of course, Public Enemy. I could wear the P hat. It was coincidence. Yeah. That it was the P. And they just started coming out with the black hats because before then, you know, the pirates actually had what? They had the the gold hats, mm-hmm. and they had the official hip hop b boy hat. Mm-hmm. In 1979, the We Are Family pillbox hat. With the, you want to try with the stripes? And, yeah, mm. the stripes. And you want to talk about that was the official B boy hat mm. of '79 because mm. back when they had the Meadowlands Super Budweiser Summerfest and they had hip hop music playing through there, all the hip hop cats out of Jersey, New York, metropolitan area. That was the thing. And then the hottest record of that whole summer was Good Times. Mm-hmm. So Good Times also went with the P hat, the pillbox hat, the three stripes or whatever. But fast forward, um, I think also Hank, Hank also said, yeah, Hank also did some military time mm-hmm. with, with yeah. uh, ROTC. ROTC. And cats used to wear their hat straight up, no sideways, right. none of that. And also you go to different cities. Back then you go to Chicago with your hat to the side. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't, you can't you wait couldn't yet. do that yeah. back then. Matter of fact, me and Flavor was walking in Chicago, and this police <laughs> officer came up to Flavor and said, your hat got a problem? So Flavor was like, what you mean my hat got a problem? <laughs> Your hat got a problem. So Flavor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, oh, you ain't from here. Man, straighten that hat out because this side mean a gang and that side mean a gang. Mm. And this is Chicago, 19, yeah. 1987. Yeah. So my thing where it's straight, it was black. We go to California. They got red and blue, Crips, Bloods and whatnot. Mm-hmm. How you be the neutral? 
Well, our color is black. Our people is black. We unify that. Through great uh, relationships in Los Angeles, we go through I mean, people like uh, that, that really seriously never really got the that got the, 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 the buzz that they really, like Roger Clayton and Uncle Jam's army in L.A. brought the hip-hop cats together in L.A. Then you had areas like Skateland, which was in um, a Blood Territory, and then another spot, World on Wheels, which is a Crypt Territory. And you had to really listen to people before you rolled out and did things and said, yeah, we're neutral, so we're trying to figure out how y'all can actually come together. We know you got your issues and all that. But also we had to also think deeper is that we had kind of had dibs that what had happened out to, in Los Angeles at that time already had happened in New York where they actually infiltrated drugs and guns into areas of Harlem, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, uh, Long Island, Connecticut and the drug game in the late 70s, the cocaine wars, all that started, all that stuff depicted in American Gangster had an unbelievable influence inside the music and, and a devastating effect going into the 80s. We knew that for clear because we knew that if there was a crack situation going on in 83, 84 in Long Island, New York, Jersey, Connecticut, metropolitan area, that crack situation was happening in Detroit in 86, 87. Then also happening kind of like in 87, 88 in Los Angeles. Also happening in St. Louis in 1990, Kansas City. So as we were touring, we were seeing that these different things were popping up. And they said one 10-year one period, we didn't have guns. All of a sudden, three years later, we knew just in our hometown, Roosevelt, nobody had a gun in, in 74, 75. Mm -hmm. And people, a lot of people got killed in, with, with guns in 78, 79. Like, it was overnight. Then, people who smoked weed in 76, 75 was looking for weed, but all of a sudden, they took weed off the streets, and then cocaine was available, and they started giving cocaine the cash for free. So the cocaine wars would happen, all of a sudden, that had replaced weed. As the, the get high thing, and then, you know, it went into free basins, crack in the 80s. So all these things played in the music. Because we as DJs had to play in front of people. Everybody. We played in clubs. Yeah. Matter of fact, we played in clubs and smashed the clubs out so bad mm -hmm. that we... Because, <laughs> you know, you got the clubs, you got the thugs, the dealers. Everybody's in one spot. We mm -hmm. doing stuff way 100... Because Long Island's 115 miles out. Mm. I mean, we in the Hamptons, but not that Hamptons. They talk Puffy and... And Russell and them talking about. We talk about the Ham we talk about the East real, Hampton. The real Hampton. East Hampton. Yeah. Like, yeah, you you, South, you, you could get forgotten out there. Yeah. They, they ain't got you New York disappeared out there. Yes, for real. And then nobody, yo, man, it's like seventy miles out, they get New Haven stations and like so, you know, we would actually, you know, know that cats is coming to one place. And everything is taking place, and they we smashing the place to six a.m. Mm -hmm. And we thinking it's all about the music. <laughs> it's all about the get high. Yo, man, cats is like they 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 not blinking. Yeah, yo, play that, play that shit again, son. It's like we like yo, man. We wrapped it's it up. Something. Like, it's something. Something. I was like, all right, I keep playing. So, so, but but dipping they they shit in embalming fluid and all that shit was going on back then. But Keith, when you hear straight out of Compton. Mm -hmm. What's your reaction? 
I just thought it was a dope record. <laughs> but, I'm a DJ. Right. So, I mean, I, you got to understand, I took music from a DJ perspective. Right. I didn't get to, like, I was, even though we was doing it the way we was doing yo, man, I was like, yo, this shit is crazy on the dance floor. But, but, a, but it was distinctively. But, yeah, because here's it. Dre did the swap me tapes. Yes. Dre did the swap me tapes because he got all the records that was doing the swap me tapes in 87, 88, and he was taking all those records from the East Coast and swap meeting it out in the West Coast. So out of this, what was going on and that was coming out of the East, Dre developed his own style with NWA but, and all those posse. But within that, I mean, even though he's doing straight out of Compton, I'm just feeling like the style we're doing music is stretching across the Across yeah. the country, which that. is a great thing. Yeah, it was but a good, you see it was, that. It was yes. the thing. Yes. Is, we just like, because the thing it about it is like, you don't root for yourself. No. Yeah, you're in competition, but you root for competition. Yeah. That's the biggest thing about it. Like, that's what I said. You got to go from me to we. Right. Because with competition, it breeds champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing like, let me tell you, man, one time we playing a show. And yeah, this. you leave the ego for the stage. All that beef in the in the hotel room, shooting at the butt. I mean, that's some primitive caveman shit, really, for, for real. Mm-hmm. You leave the beef on the stage and you keep it on the stage. Your artillery is your words. That's your performance. Now, if that has gotten out of hand or kind of misread or misconnected from what the original purpose is, then, then let's call it something else. And if you don't, well, I'm just saying that is what it is. But I'm saying... That when it, when it comes down to um, to to the, the stage, it's just like you want that motherfucker to bust your ass. But when, but when it or you want because you want to bust that yeah. ass too. Yeah, and you and that's where your ego exists. I remember the time Kane, which is like the most skillful MC ever in life. <laughs> you know, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. Pound for pound. Mm-hmm. He was like a, a heavyweight. He's like a heavyweight, middleweight, welterweight, lightweight, all in the same game, boxing yeah. ring, right? It's like, I remember one time going in the show not fucking prepared. Just like kind of like taking it for granted because right. we smashed the last city. And dude is coming on right before. We're going to close out. You feel you rest of your life. <laughs> and the, yo, <laughs> absolutely fucking mopped the fuck out of us. Uh. Now, we notice it, and the crowd notice it. You in Chicago, you to absolutely mop-bucketed us. And this was like way later in the game. Because right. I remember was a time that Kane and his, and his boys, that we were playing Phoenix, and they wrote something on the blackboard or some shit, right? And we read it. We proceeded to tear that motherfucking whole spot down because uh. we saw the blackboard. Right. I don't know if that was payback, but Kane. Wait, wait, what was on the what was on the blackboard? It was some kind of, you know, it was just, you know, it was like, you know, we're the best or something, something like that. You know, it was Fall like back, we the best. Yeah, something like that. You know, it was this black blackboard shit. Right. And this is like, and we're, we have camaraderie, man. We're, yeah. we're we're brothers, we're sisters, we all in the thing together. But you gotta have competition to go out there and roast that audience, and you want to come away with taking somebody's Take, audience. Yeah. With like, like we came to see this person, but we left with this motherfucker right, 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 right. in our mind. We didn't even have no expectations for these motherfuckers. That's how we came in. We were like, all right, we're playing, and it's Eric and Ra, and it's us. 
They don't know us. They know Eric and Ross. So we got to somehow figure out how we could how kinda, we gonna take their heads. Yeah, to take their. And then audience. at the end, at the end, you travel together. You break yeah. bread. You know, it's like being in the league. It's like, it's like being, being in, in the, the league. league. Motherfucker, dunk on you. What you gonna bitch up and cry and say, "Yo, you hating on me?" No, you. You got your, game your right. ass dunked on. <laughs> you got posterized. And you bitched <laughs> out. You come back and, and, and get them back. See, I'm glad you said that, man, because one of my questions that I wanted to ask You can't find too is, many people that talk about shit in this, in this way. You had so many different groups that was at the top of their game. Yep. Like, y'all had, y'all, y'all had rough. NWA. You had mm-hmm. Too Short. You had, you know what I'm saying, EPMD. You had Big Daddy Kane. But- it seemed like there was a greater tolerance level or acceptance level or respect level, regardless what different. Yeah, I, I think the game, ju- the game still wasn't accepted the way we wanted it to be accepted. Right. Right. It's, we still trying to break down barriers. Yeah. We still trying to get clothing line. They're not hearing none of this. We just got the music. Within the music, yes, we got the competition, but we ain't, got, we ain't already like the way we want it to be. They ain't playing us daytime. Right, right. So it's... It's still there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You got to figure out how we going to get in this daytime to where, where it is like now. It's 24 hours. It was nowhere near that. Yeah. So everybody's trying to still force the idea. Hip-hop still hasn't been accepted by America. Man, if you want to talk about a radio station supposed to be the home of hip-hop and R&B or whatever, and they're playing 99%. Artists there. How many, how many major record labels are there? There's only three. Three. Radios. So I was 99% are going to come from three labels. 99% of the playlist. I put out a data sheet out there that, that surveyed Hot 97's uh, uh, play. Three, like what? Three independent records that were played, and all three were by Ryan Lewis and Macklemore, mm. which is not really independent. Yeah. They're backed by the Atlantic system. Yeah. But, you know, you could tell, oh, yeah, Andy. Eh, yeah, no. <laughs> so now I think this is somebody that said, yeah, you know, they were talking about uh, uh, Ebro and Rosenberg was technically talking about Lil Wayne being Andy. No. Yeah, that's universal. Lil, yeah, that was universal, that's universal with intent to destroy Master P's independent situation. Mm. Mm. You know, the cash money, you know, empire came about. Because they wanted to buy in the masterpiece dominant. Remember when my masterpiece was putting out three hundred yeah. albums from an unwanted area, Pen and no pixel, limit. Pen all and like, they wanted to make Master P a black man a deal, and Master P told them to go to fucking hell. Right. So they said, okay, let's go across w- the street. W- let's go across the street and back this situation to put you out of business. That's the shit that they do. And I'm like saying, and that's why we went from uh the hot, right now, uh the hot. To um, what was the thing? Bling bling, bling bling, in three in a three year period. Yeah. So they eradicated black business just with that same corp plantation move. Now we're not telling a corp plantation die, <laughs> but goddamn, ninety nine percent. Yeah. No other local independent could get any breathing air in the place that calls itself home of hip hop and RB where it lives. Then it don't need to be here. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let everybody fend for it. Then. Yeah, you know, let nobody get played if it can't be if fair. That's, you know, if it was if it was in sports, right? It would be akin to the Yankees automatically winning every year because they got the highest payroll, they got the most people in the stands, and they're just going to get the no nobody else need to play. Ain't no competition. They, they thought they could do that as a Yankee. No, the, the Yankees won because they brought <laughs> Joe Torre in yep. for a five year period. They had the best things lined up. Money just ain't going to win it for you. 
the same thing with the Knicks. I'm a big Knicks fan. But you know what? Getting like the best players and paying the highest payroll. That don't necessarily man, mean that. Man, we're going to have a product that's going to be based on how it does on the floor, yeah. not what it does in the stands. Yeah. Going back to this whole, you know, like your sounds spreading and y'all influencing cats. You know, you got close with Ice Cube. Yeah, you, I, Ice Cube was like a little brother. Matter of fact, I had such a great time with the King of the Mike tour last year. It was a, such a great time for us. There was no fat on that tour. <laughs> us, LL, Ice Cube, De La Soul, and DJ Chuck Chill Out and Z Trip. Wow. It was like, bam. Matter of fact, we came, we came through New York, played Roseland. Major hip-hop media said nothing. Nothing. It's not, not a goddamn thing. I, I found out about it on, 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 online. And here's another thing, man. Online. I'm looking, at, about it, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it online. Wow. But, but, but my question is, you were trying to tell him to stay in NWA. Yeah, because I just had the situation with Public Enemy, and we had the thing with us, Griff, the anti-Semitic you know, uh, accusations and all that, and I'm holding my group together, and he's got a problem with his group. And I'm like, dude, stay in the group because groups are important. But he was like, yo, man, um, I got a sidekick I'm driving. I'm bringing home a plaque, and these guys got money, and I don't. And I'm like, well, I tried to hook him up with Sam Sever. Mm-hmm. I tried to hook him up with other aspects, other producers. And he was like, yo, why don't y'all do me? And he, and he came out to hang out a few times. And the first time where he actually did something is like we were, me and Kane had been talking for a while about doing a cut together. And that was Burn Hollywood Burn. Burn Hollywood Burn. Now understand this. People are used to collabos today. Like you could put this and that and this and that. Because it's really three labels. So collabos were so big so, back then. No, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm saying they're big now. Right. Back then they wasn't. Because you know why? No, I'm saying they were big when they happened. Yeah, but, but they had to happen. Yes. And that time where we had to do it. Kane's with Warner Brothers. We're with Sony. Fucking lawyers is like, yo, we can't have this person with the- We can't Ooh. be promoting this artist. Yeah, right. that, that thing happened. Mm-hmm. I had, we had to nix that shit in the bud. We said, this thing is going to happen. Right. So we're in the studio at Green Street. Cube is starting to come out because we kind of like, kind of agreed to like, we're going to do your shit because he tells us some, something. That, but it wasn't really 100% yet. You, until he told us something, right. which I'm not going to say. Okay. And then we said, we're going to do this shit. Okay. You know? It was like a competition type of thing. Right. So Cube is in the studio, and well, he's we like NWA is trying to take your crown. Nah, man, <laughs> it didn't go too long. It's not even important. Right, okay. But I'm saying Cube is in the studio as we're doing Fear of a Black Planet. We got a tour coming up, so we kind of we knocked that album out in four weeks. Cube sitting on the couch, me and Kane going over something, and then Cube says, "I want to be on that shit." We both looked at him like, "Shit, hell, why not?" You know, and that's how that happened. Right. But then that was Cube was with Priority. So you got Priority, EMI, Sony, Sony Columbia, and Warner Brothers. Make this shit work was my whole thing. Make this shit work. And that shit was like, man, it was lawyers. I'm like, this shit is a fucking plantation. Break these goddamn fences down. We made that happen. I had that type of influence on in the business offices because you you know I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be assigned to you, I'm your biggest threat. Yeah. I will cape fear your fucking ass until you fucking adhere that this is my shit and I'm tired. I'm married to this shit and this is your job. When you lose your job, you go off to wherever the fuck. I'm married to Public Enemy and the songs I write, regardless. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, no job, 
Many people know more. Yeah, no more. Me, no job. It's like, okay, it's okay, it's the next job. Yeah. And I'm still going to be who I am. So that happened. That was the beginning of Ice Cube. The first thing, Ice Cube as a soloist, I said, before we start talking about records or anything else, we stopped by, you know, a, 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 a drugstore and picked up a notebook. I said, really, it starts off with, you know, conceptually a few things that that you you don't you don't try to say the same thing twice you don't try to grow into an area that you're not into yet you gradually can move in there philosophically you don't try to overstep what you've already paved and you know you want to clear some space and you want to be able to present a total conversation from beginning to end and then from that conversation it went in sir jinx also meshed with with um keith and eric vietnam sadler and myself and hank and helped make the concept of America's Most Wanted, which was a combination blend of what we had done with PE and where he was going with um, with the with the next situation, which is really my favorite right. with, with Killer Will and all that. Killer Will, yeah. Keith, man, how'd you approach the the, the Ice Cube situation? Like, because he already had a distinctive. He approached him like wanting to cut off that Jerry curl first. <laughs> Yo, you, 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 you the one. You know what? It's 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 funny because. We have a thing before we fuck around with artists. You got to hang out with us. Right. We need to know you. We need to figure out what you're trying to do so we can help you do your best job. We was, a, we was those producers that we didn't care about trying to be the, you're the artist on our track. We tried to make, we're the producer produce, producing the artist. Right. So what do you need? Where are you coming from? Cube basically had his whole shit laid out. Laid out. Yeah. He, he wasn't. He was, that motherfucker came in with books stacked, and he knew what he was going he, to he do. He was focused. He had on- his concept and everything. So we just was the was the crew that knew how to get him to where he was going with the concept that he did for America's Most Wanted. Now Killer Will was a whole new different style, whole different thing. But that America's Most Wanted had to be that edgy shit where we was doing interludes. I mean, we crushed them on the interludes and yeah. the skits and all that. And that's what, you know, then they drain everybody want to pick that up. Yeah, yeah. So we try to make everything feel like a movie yeah. with his right. When we did Takes a Nation of Millions, it was the first time that an album concept that came out that did not go cut to cut. Yeah. You know, I mean, later on, Prince Paul gets the credit for the interludes on De La Soul. Right. But understand this, is that we traveled on the same bus in 1987. Prince Paul with Stetson Sonic mm-hmm. and also Public Enemy. So out of that bus ride in 87 on the Def Jam tour comes what? Takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Six feet higher than rising. Six, three feet higher than rising. Three feet higher rising, yeah. And also in full gear by Stetson Sonic, wow. which is almost just as good, if not as good or better, than it takes a nation. But right. it was with Tommy Boy right, right. and not really treated. Because Stetson Sonic, man, was a, is just the mm-hmm. no, not, they were the full total Package was before the, Digital Underground. It was all the first hip hop band. band that 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 bought that, that with just MCs, bought that with MCs, DJs, DJs keyboard players, yo, and the drummer. No mistakes. And, and, and we we'll rock the fuck out and of and the roots. We on the Def Jam tour coming after. It's like okay now Public Enemy. So understand this is like we we sharing a bus. So out of that bus, you know Prince Paul. Mm-hmm. That's the Sonic. We all That's come crazy. out the same. Out of it's the one bus ride in right. the summer of '87. But that makes a lot of sense, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it makes a lot of sense because we broke the album up, like saying we didn't want to go cut to cut. So I also took a concert that we was doing in London, and, and not to cut you off, Red Scott. I just want to be clear on this. It takes a million, a nation of millions to hold us back. Makes a statement immediately, is saying that 
we not might not be in your top anything, but the rest of the world we got. Right. The first the first line is like London, London, England, and not only are you here in London, you here in London like screaming, like gratitude on earth, wind and fire. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's the one we wanted to make people understand. Like, get out of your little bubble. We already there. We already there. We already you there. invited to the rest of Y'all the fucking planet, which is amazing because when you think about the traditional American record, mm-hmm. that's the first time that American record is being introduced. But I remember the first time I listened to It Takes a Nation, I was like, yo, they already did London? And, oh, they, yeah. and they got them screaming in the audience like that? London yeah. is our base to this day. You know, mm-hmm. years later, man, it's still, It Takes a Nation is still regarded as, quote unquote, the best uh-huh. hip-hop album of all time. And I, and I, and I, st- I believe that. Yo, Do y'all I mean, believe that? You're goddamn yeah. right. Because yes. that's, that's, my, that's yeah. my team. I ain't bragging about myself. <laughs> but that motherfucker's like Will Chamberlain's 100 points. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah... That because it it was the first it it was the last album and this is in my opinion that made all the majors just the bittersweet thing it made all the majors understand that rap music was album oriented art like the Rock Boys right. before it wasn't that single it wasn't a single everything right. was singles marketplace yeah. before us matter yeah. of fact a lot of cats were looking at us like where the fuck did we come from because we didn't come from a hot single. We mm-hmm. never had that hot single, mm-hmm. not until Rebel Without a Pause. Right. We came out with an album first with Public Enemy Number One at the time. They had some regional buzz to it or whatever. But, you know, that wasn't like, you know, Eric B. and Rakim, they came up with the, oh my <laughs> God, Lord have mercy. I know um, you got soul. Yo, I know you got soul. <laughs> Eric B. for president, my melody. Karis One comes out with South Bronx. I mean, I mean, unbelievable smashes. Run DMC came involved out of sucker MCs. Houdini was sort of like maybe uh, they that had the album, albums, but they had they was in a different realm yeah. of of the Larry Smith, the R and B thing, and, and, but, and you still got the our I think our favorite producer was that Marley Mall. Yeah, mm. that's where that noise, that that noise comes from. You know what? We had Molly you know, Mall. We, we had Molly Mall on the show. Where's yeah. it? Every time I see him, I punch him and jump on him. And <laughs> like, but, but that's how that's our influence. Now he did say yeah. that. He said when y'all heard Eric B. Was it? Uh, uh, y'all know you got no, soul. No, and and, and uh, the, the the bridge. The bridge. By MC Shan. Yes. Right. Because the, the bridge. The thing that would made us do the bridge is like understand. My voice cuts. Mm-hmm. Like flavor voice cuts, but in a different direction. So the key was like Molly Maul would have MC Shan rocking the beat and then the noise would come in the chorus. We was like, well, our voices are strong enough to rock the fucking noise through the whole joint. You got to have the right voices to do it. And then you got to have somebody who, and Hank, you know, was able to make a mix out of chaos to make that shit. You know what I mean? Nobody, that's why you can't mix Public Enemy records with nobody. When you go to an old school set, you can't put Public Enemy records in there because it just don't match. It's like, it's, it's, it's just a whole nother other thing you got to play in its own thing. So we didn't make me- records that match, but that Molly Mall noise influence was like, hmm, it was like well, in the beat influence, like all the Bismarcky yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Yo, man, we play this shit at a gig, people lose their <laughs> damn that's mind. funny. Even when I DJ, I don't play Public Enemy record because it just don't match. Yeah, it's like drinking your own it's like, like, vomit. It's like, yeah, it's like I mean, other people should match, yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I should, come on, yeah, you know. Another, another thing, what, what? Uh, uh, nobody beats the, the biz. biz. We never make records like that. Is Bismarcky the star of the show? Oh man, are you kidding? People lose their damn, they fucking mind. 
Raw by Big Daddy Kane. Oh, what you go, you crazy, yo, man, really, Molly Mar, man. Yo, people talk about people losing their mind today. You can't take that atmosphere and duplicate it. I mean, it, it nowadays it might come from repetition, right? Because all right, somebody you've heard. I mean, somebody was telling me like Jay Z like pay, played six million times. His records have played six million. I'm like, that's amazing. That's up six million times, like rap record. By that, I mean a rap record is just strong as is, and he's phenomenal. So you put six million times to it, it's like, what oh, shit, hey, man? What? But you could you, imagine all the rap records that were like unbelievable if you played that shit a hundred times. They were like, man, we can't have rap records in our playlist because it cannibalizes it. Because yeah. they make the next record seem like it's boring, yeah. and the record before it seemed like you wasn't doing your job. Yeah. So that was the problem with you either got to do rap radio in its own space and you can't really mix it with shit. Nowadays they found that you could mix a Trey songs and you could have two chains and, and you know and Chuck Chillout calls it all space music because you could have it all in one vein. But really seriously, they're, they're not really, and I, I'm, I'm saying this honestly, they're not world breaking records. Right. They're not based on how they sound. They're based on other things about it, like how it looks, what what issue that dude might have, how much money they got. It's not anything that's going to make a, based on a sound, and that's just a sign of the times. And that's based on a sound, like to make somebody say, "Oh shit," because people are not processed to take the sound in like they did before. Sound was everything, yeah. and video was the afterthought, or how you saw it was the afterthought, and performance was the third thought. Now it's like they see everything. And they hear it, and the sound is just a component. So there's no sound that's really blowing people away, even because they don't have the capacity to understand the concept of the sound in rap music. And uh, Keith is a sound man. Hank is a sound man. Sound, I like to be heard rather than seen. So sound is everything. How I'm looking on a particular day, I'd rather go, man, I don't want no camera on my I fucking ass. I'm like, want to be heard. Yeah. But today, in the last 15 to 20 years, the concept is like, well, how you looking? Uh, yeah. You know, what you also, what's your style? What you wearing? What you wearing? Yeah. You know, what's, what, what you got going on? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how can we be a part of this thing and ride together? Yeah. You know, yeah. that type of ex- external extrovert thing. Chuck, man, Public Enemy Hits It's a worldwide group. And then the controversy starts, right? Yeah. The controversy starts. 20 years ago to this month, really to these days, 20 years ago as... Do the Right Thing came out. I mean, 25 years ago, I should say. 25 years ago, as Do the Right Thing came out mm. in July 1989, mm. we was also accused of being anti-Semitic Anti- based on an a, a, a article that just went and hit a bad road in left field. And it was, it was, it was in this city, in New York, and it was, it, was a, yo, man, it was a motherfucker for real. You were a young dude. I mean, you thought you were older, but you were a young dude. Yeah, but I was 28 going to 29 years old. 28, 29, and now this seems like the nation is against you, this, this nation of America. How well, do you handle that shit, man? We wasn't giving a fuck about that so much. You I, didn't give a fuck. I, was, I was prepared for that. You were Just prepared. talk about Elvis and John Wayne. Right. It was the internal situation that was falling apart, disagreements with each other about philosophies of what should be done and said. And I wasn't told. What, what, were those, what were those arguments? I think the arguments were, were were based on. Well, let me tell you, the whole thing really happened. 
and it started out by the audacity of black men talking about the conflict, which is relevant to this moment. The Palestinian Israel, Israel and Palestine. Right. In 1989, we did this art of, art of interview in 88 and 89 in, in our base in London in the UK. Melody Maker and the, the enemy. At that particular time, there was no music press in the United States other than Rolling Stone, but they ain't covering no rap shit. They ain't really covering no black shit. They'll talk and they toss at you and move on. We were having a detailed discussion on how the one-sidedness of Palestine and Israel was taking place, and it was almost like who the fuck is fuck a rap be talking about black shit. dudes talking to what the fuck, you know? But they had to deal with that, and they was getting these intellectual discourses coming back at. We ain't no fucking kids. We ain't stupid. We ain't naive. This shit's going on. And it's we need right. to address this. That had lingered over into the United States as no music press, but also leaked in the political press. And I knew I had to do this interview with this dude, David Mills. And From the DC, Washington Post, right? From the Washington Times. Washington Times. Which was a Sun Young Moon newspaper. Okay. <laughs> so That's kind of bugged out. Yeah, so I, I remember talking to Dow Brooks, and I was kind of tired. I could not handle, like, I mean, I've done more interviews anyway, especially, back, I mean, I, if I wanted to do 50 interviews a week, I could do it in perpetuity. I mean, what kind of life? Well, my brains would be shredded, man. Yeah. This particular day, man, I was like, yo, man, Griff, you're going to have to do this interview because I'm going to sit with Dow Brooks and I'm going to, like, you know, talk about something else. Our next show. Dow Brooks is a big promoter. Yeah. And Griff would handle the interview. So Griff started to do an interview with David Mills, a black guy. And they're talking about, you know, the, he brings up the issue of what's going on based on the Israel-Palestine thing. And they start talking about these areas of conflict, but also what has happened in the music business and how black people are still, like, kind of ass down and how also other people and also Jewish people happen to be running the music business. And what, what's up with the equitable shake here and the emergence of even hip-hop where's the equality here well david mills had they got into some discussion that took a wrong path especially when david mills girlfriend who was white and jewish came into the room and she started like and it just went in how the fuck is that an interview when she's not even that's crazy because that was his girlfriend yeah and then that you know so i when i came back to the hotel i saw griff come out of the uh elevator like yo i mean i got into it with this dude i don't know if you gonna be having i said man i'm tired you go to bed you know because i mean we've done million you know done hundreds of interviews but this is the united states in washington dc and you're talking about a very sensitive it went topic. from david mills in the washington times and then the kind of like okay kind of like was what it was and then moved on but then it got picked up by the village voice mm. And that whole regime over there that said public enemy who was the winner of our pads and job. Yeah, polls. y'all were like y'all were like the darlings. Well, of, it wasn't no fucking darlings of anybody. They was like they had to like, okay, this is something that we have to like pay attention to. Right. We ain't they ain't darlings, but wow, this is like well, if we give if Dylan is here and Dylan said this, the public enemy is saying this, and they got a whole bunch of everybody. It's like it looks okay to me because. Rick Rubin signed them. Bill Adler's their man. It's like it's like, and they have a voice that actually speaks against oppression, but it's not going to speak out against us. This oppression. This article comes out, and the dude more uh, forgot his name. Then R.J. Smith puts a twist on it that takes it into 
this is what he said and blows this aspect of this conversation that grew in a heated debate between Griff Mills and his girlfriend. His girlfriend. And Out of just context. Magnified over the context. Hit a bad road and spun out of control, man. By that time, man, you want to talk about the news media in New York? It went from the Village Voice, this, that, boom, boom, music industry. We wasn't intimidated by the record companies at all. I was still like, well, we're dealing with this issue, and you guys talking about this. Yo, what the fuck? It wasn't until Spike Lee started getting some pressure. Spike Lee said, yo, man, they're going to pull this movie they do they 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 could have been calling this bluff. All this stuff about public I'm talking enemy. Talking about do the right thing. You do the right thing, yeah. which was out in July 1989 to, to this day. It's like, yo, man, I'm getting a lot of pressure from these people at Universal about public enemy. And number one, public enemy is the theme of do the right thing. Yes. It's already you can't a controversial. No, you ain't gonna take it out. It's already a movie that's sparking controversy all over the fucking place. By the movie itself, the John Wayne Elvis Presley thing, it's like, and on the t- same thing. Oh man! And that, by the way, you know this anti-Semitic thing comes from the. It was like it was, yo, know, it, it was, was hot. five things at once. Yeah. And um, the thing it didn't, be, it didn't bother on that external part. That thing affected. People in our working environment. People that stood by Bill side Stephanie, Hank Shockley, Keith, and everybody that was in New York. We were traveling around together. So, like, we come back to New York, there's a lot of heat there, but we go on tour. A lot of heat was going on here. We wasn't there. I think also the other thing is that we started having internal strife. You know, mm-hmm. people were kind of like being uneasy with each other. Different philosophical you're points about of Griffin, view. Griffin Flair. Yeah, well, no, not mm. so much Griffin. I think. Flavor had a situation which really was overbearing for Griff to handle, and Griff got burned out of it. Right, and maybe it was unfair because I used to have Griff watch Flavor, right. <laughs> just like <laughs> trying to catch water with a fork. Yeah, Griff got burnt out, and then at the same time he got burnt out, there was relationships that was with him and others that kind of like also spun on a bad path, and I was trying to be a diplomatic socialist we're in this together i'm not the leader of this thing we have a leadership that's hank and bill in new york and i did not lead the ship correctly because i deferred it too much and and it really was two teams so i had to be able you know i had to really get into that said i gotta be in charge of this particular but how thing. stressful was that man? man that shit was fucking crazy that shit, nobody has ever dealt with some <laughs> shit like that until you talk about stupid shit that that ended up getting tupac and biggie killed yeah which was a whole nother thing that was next, unnecessary next. but this this was all philosophical it was all the the level of media at that particular time spinning perception opinions and at the same time we're throwing offensive things. We throw it was like that was like throwing a pass, and you knew it was going to be intercepted. And you're like, I should. It was the Brett Favre. It was the Brett Favre pass in the NFC conference. Like, oh, why, oh no, why you doing it? And it was already out of the hands. How, and you want to talk about stressful? How do you? How did you cope with that? Because you never drank. You never smoke. Mm-hmm. How did you cope with that? How did I, I cope with it? Smoking for you cope with this. <laughs> cope with this. Drinking and smoking for How did you cope with that stress, Chuck? That's a lot of stress for. for uh, you know, you're you helped out by a team. Your yeah. team. Your team determines. You know, a different sense of order. 
And then that particular, like I said, everything spun off the road in control. But, you know, the show must go on. And the team came up with the the unfortunate decision to say, well, we got to part ways. And, and the whole decision, like, we got to part ways until we see we we on the same page. Right. Even on, you know, you know it was, that was a, that really serious was such a bad, was, stupid, crazy ass time. It was, that it was so crazy. It affected every, every, everything. It's like everybody. I mean, every, I mean, look, we got like we had like fifty to thirty people with us. Yes, it's like the the, produ- the production team deals that was going on inside. It, it, it just that like, had nothing to do with that public. Nothing to do nothing. And, and me, I'm in the trenches. We're right. in the trenches. Right. But I understand people are always quick to say who's in the front in the trenches. This it was like it was me, James, Roger. Uh, Roger and Griff, it, it, they came up together. They started the S1Ws. They really started, you know, Unity Force. There was like 50 of them. Mm-hmm. And there was dissension in the ranks. Uh, it was myself, Terminator, Flavor, who basically was spinning out of, of a particular control. And I'm like, man, how do I hold this together? And even when it came down to to Griff, you know, having to go his separate ways, man, that was a hard-ass fucking day. And it, it, yo, man. As far as the the inside that was happening, happened. It was a bad time, man. And I remember saying, okay, look, this is gonna have to be the the move. I'm gonna have to, you know, kind of take care of you. I've had conversations with Luke at that time, who had his own independent label. You can do your thing in your way. There's an open door policy, but this particular team is seriously coming up with a decision. All for it is gonna be here. We're gonna we try to hold it together. But when the people are not on the same page and not looking on the same page eye to eye, you just got to figure out holds holds it together. And I never, ever had a closed-door policy. As you see, Griff returned like 96 and 97. We were always in contact. But the problem was is that this even to this day, some people don't talk to each other. That's some of the things about a team that people, it's why they don't have teams. But I don't think not having a team is an answer. Is an answer. Right. This to this day in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Professor Griff name is there. They got to deal with that. Yeah. Just like Isaiah is in the NBA, they never liked him. <laughs> they got to deal <laughs> with Isaiah because yeah. he was a groundbreaker. Yeah. And uh, and what Griff had brought to the table was the fact that he brought dialogue and high discussion to the table, and the, uh, and a whole bunch of philosophical questions that have been failed to this point right now. So really, what happened to Rosenberg is the reverse. 25 years later, he of Jewish descent, the question that never got answered, never got answered on Twitter. Like, what if these artists on four hours of stage would have spit anti-Semitic slurs and anti-gay slurs and at MetLife Stadium it's in front what of 40,000? What happened? No, but you know what? Nobody's answered that. Right. So why is this the un the unofficial un? So basically, Rosenberg stepped it, stepped on the same thing that Griff stepped on in another particular way. I felt for Rosenberg, I feel for him because I don't feel that this should be uncivilized goonology coming after that. Deal with the truth and deal with what you need to respect. Right. That actually offered you know that ushered the platform and the job underneath you. In our area, we could have been better with the handling of words coming out of the from, team. One, uh, from the team. Right, right. If I'm going to throw the pass, let me throw the pass. Somebody else going to be quarterback. Yeah, I hand it off yeah, and yeah. you throw the pass. Yeah. And, and, yo, we're going to take the hit. That shit's intercepted. But let's, let's, but let's take the tighter. hit together. Yeah. And, and, and I think some of the wrong path went when the ideas on how we take the hit together 
went in different ways. Because remember that happened in and and what that happened in June, yeah. and finally everything went in separate ways. Coming like October mm-hmm. and November, so we tried to like. But Work sometimes it, it was make, it was like uh-uh. yeah. it, you know we was younger also yeah. full of oil and, and vinegar. And and the more vinegar. the more we try to work it out for the better, the more everything else started to close down. Yeah, and then it was like, well, you know, okay, they're stopping us from making records, right? And I ain't got nothing to see. It's like now, a, and now not just public enemy. Now, now the Who's team, stopping y'all? Huh? Who's stopping y'all from? Well, making, we well the we, music we, industry because understand we no, two teams. It's like the offensive defensive team. We on the road. So we could sing shit the way we want to sing y'all, shit. Because y'all, 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 y'all already made the public record. enemy. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, they on the other team, and the product, bomb squad is a whole other team, yeah. and they, they doing shit for this but artist this and art, that artist. This group, this they label, our own this. thing. Then all of a sudden, things coming into play. Like, oh, if y'all gonna put this group together, y'all can't say this, right? And that's coming. Oh, it's like, 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 like the producers. It's coming so, from the label. So as yeah. much, and they're giving you right. conditions. So as yes. much piss yes. and vinegar as we full of throwing shit on the road, still kind of like it's not just together. y'all. Mm-hmm. They bombing the home like yeah. pow, bombing this. Pow, that's yeah. pow. Yeah. I mean, just touch, that's like just dropping mortar shells on yeah. the bomb squad. <laughs> no big <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> they just they just hitting the home area, and we not back there. We yeah. ain't in New York. Yeah. We in the middle of like. Evansville, like what? Nobody knows what's going on in New York. Yeah. So that it's, it's that was pre-internet, man. So it when was, you hear was, somebody talking, like I simply say, you don't know what the fuck you talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Why don't you worry about what you do at your job and your family and listen to the explanation? You could take it or leave it, but this is what this is. But you see how they work, though. While they was on the road, we, oh, we still gonna get somebody. Yep. We can't get them. Uh-huh. So we're gonna, we gonna get, get their boys. They rest of their boys in. And then and then Chuck. So. After all of this shit is going on, you come back home and then come out with fucking Terror Dome. Like, 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 were you angry? Oh, I was. Was it like, well, was it like angry? Was this a, a man, act man. of like, yo, y'all can't kill my fire? Because, yeah. yo, that shit was like, we thought y'all was already pushing the envelope. Man, but that Terror Dome shit, motherfuckers are like, yo. That, Somebody's going to die. Out of, out of, Somebody's going to die I don't, this I don't know about that. But I'm just saying that out of any record I ever did, somebody said, what's the one record out of everything you've done, out of all that, it was, it was our autobiography from the core? I said, and, and this is how it happened. Keith came up with this rhythm part that did, with his funky-ass juxtaposition <laughs> ass. It says, Chuck, this shit right here, right? I'm listening to it, and I said, yo, I got to leave. I take a drive to Redding, Pennsylvania from Long Island in a Bronco, right? Old beat-up beat ass, not going to make it Bronco I had. And I said, man, I took that, listen to Chuck Chill out on the way out, and I had the tape, and I drove out to Redding, Pennsylvania, visited a friend, hung out, stayed there, writing, drove back. The next day, with Terradome written, mm. cut it at Green Street. We put the other stuff up in there. Um, the beginning, then at the, you know, that's we we can't say it because we, but we might we, we always might, we might get sued, might get sued for, like for saying like, what it was fifty <laughs> years later. Don't, don't, slitch, later. don't slitch on yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was like always loved that record, and then when the real record came on, I was like, damn, there ain't nothing else there. So we snatched the beginning. But when that record came out, and when I recorded it with Keith, and like I said, the whole key is like, okay, you recorded it, it's cut. 
how's the mix going to be? And you mix it or Hank mix it? Hank mix it. I think Hank mixed it. Yeah, because see, another thing, like, we, what, what, Hank is Phil Spector without the fucking craziness, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say, see, like people talk about a producer as a beat maker. Hank could come in the room and produce it and not touch shit. Right, I right. don't know what they say Well, Puffy was a producer. But no, Hank is a dude that will look at that shit and that shit be a fucking mess and then make sense out of the fucking noise. Now, people talk about Dre. Now, this is what the difference is. With, with, I think it's different. Dre was taking your no-brainers. Like, I want to do something freaky to you and making that straight out, stretching it out, putting beat behind it, things that were automatically hits or, or monsters in the black community, and then putting a great-ass vocalist on it and arranging that shit so you come up with a Snoop Dogg, you come up with Eminem. You're saying stuff he, that was market-tested. Yeah, yeah, and also... Not gonna, you know, he ain't gonna rock the boat crazy. He's gonna make that fucking hit. Our whole thing was the unhit. It's like, how do we make you love something that you initially hate? Matter of fact, our goal is the, I mean, public enemy number one. Come on, man, ain't no fucking appeal to that shit. I wanted to make some shit that my girlfriend hated at that time. I want to, the more she hates the shit, the more I'm going to dig it. So that's where we come from. We come from that. That's so funny. Coming from DJs that rocked the party, it was all about rocking the girls. Coming to public again, it was like, it ain't about none of that. Right. Right. We don't want none of them parts. We of making this. a record that you really serious. Your girl is going to say, turn that shit off. That's a rebel out of pause. It's like, come on, man. Turn now, you know, you know, you got a t- contingent of women like, okay, I get But my brother nah, turned me on to that. Women uh, did not like they, that record. It ain't, yeah. it ain't like no Jay Z thing where people are like, oh, Jay Z. No, no, women did we not like Rebel Without Pause. We made unappealing to the female Democrats. We like, the, I, it's it's like I said, right it wasn't like, yo, it ain't like we, ain't, we don't appreciate women. We got wives, girlfriends, all, you know, daughters and all that. <laughs> but this We're not, not for making records this, for this y'all. We're making records really seriously. That you would say, stop that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and when they tear it on, man, that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was some shit like to the, like a rock cat with fucking really, the only thing he could do, he ain't dancing. He want to put his fingers through your fucking throat. It's like, ah. That's why when Terradome was finished and done, we said, the, uh, we had no video. The utmost salute to that was Mike Tyson coming out. It was no better video than that. Yeah. He starts at the back of the arena, and we envisioned that mm-hmm. shit when we was making it. Because by the time the verse comes in, that shit is like way, like almost a minute in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you join me, please, in welcoming? See, see, see. <laughs> Got suits for every one of them samples. Yep. <laughs> That's great. Get it, get it. But, but the, but the funk, lyrics, page and a half long. Got y'all even deeper in in, in the hot water, and and y'all was you was not giving a fuck. I had to be truthful. Yes. You know, I mean, it was truthful. They, nobody could deny it was truthful. So that wasn't much of a, a controversy. That was like added on, but it, it yeah, it was added you're, you're on. Already, they tried to get at the core of it, which right. is like, you know, what was said about you know Jewish people then, which we was so like, that's to say, yeah, yeah. So I kind of hinted at that, but for the first time, rap record, rap records, and lyrics were examined. This yeah. is before, you know, I mean, I mean, really examined before this record came out. So we knew that the next Public Enemy record that came out would be f- examined like a fine-tooth comb. Forensics. Forensics. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're like, well, don't let, well, let's look for the anti-Semitic slur. And yeah. this, this. Now we're checking out rap lyrics. It's like, it was, a, you know, and um, I tell you, stressful time, unforgettable time. 
an unforgettable time. Um, I wouldn't want to have that time again. I never did have that stressful period of time because the thing that made it stressful was the fractured camaraderie in the team. Right. That that's what made it stressful because it's like, I mean, if y'all was if y'all had more of a solid camaraderie, that stress would have been minimized. You're well, you're not going to have a solid camaraderie when something is intensified as such. Like I said, it started out with talking about Palestinians being bombed yeah, yeah. the fucking here we are and 25 years later. Same shit. And the same shit and is going can't, on. And you can't talk and about And nobody it. is talking about it. And, and like, you know, the whole thing about the Israel thing and, and the press and the news. It's like, look, we're not talking about Jewish people in Israel. We're talking about a government. A government Zionist that is like it's like it's like you know you can't talk highly of Idi Amin in Africa. So what the fuck what he's African? Yo, man, it's carnage. Same thing is going on. It's like you really don't care about the people. You care about your position and in a, a philosophical one-sided uh, uh, doctrine of, of of what you say you are. You don't care about no Torah. Don't care about none of that. You are this particular position. And and you not you not trying to hear nobody else. So it. what? The nerve of, and this is where the N word is applicable because the N word is applicable in areas, but it, but it ain't a word to spit out because you just trying to call everybody <laughs> and family like that. No, the, the the nerve of these niggas going out and having the discussion over your fucking head. Y'all talk about cars and. Money and guns, bitches and Drugs. guns and all that shit. And don't talk about bigger guns. And go, talk about guns, y'all shooting yourself. And we'll accept that. Matter of fact, not only will we accept that, we'll, we'll endorse we'll, it, finance it. We'll make you big. You, you need money? We'll make you a billionaire. We don't give a fuck. That's the shit. That's your ceiling. Once you go past that ceiling, you fucking in our territory. And we will make those people that look up to you look down at you because we're going to knock your ass down. So don't be having no prayers that go above your head. Don't be having no thoughts that be going above your head. Mm. Keep that fucking ceiling at your forehead and keep that shit lower keep than it that. Keep it low, yeah. We, we also spoke, man, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not going to keep this much longer. But we also spoke about, you know, all these artists that, that you came up with and that you saw. But one of the things we talked about also off air was Tupac. Like, Y'all, you met a very young, y'all met a very young Tupac yeah. before he was Tupac. And you kind of saw the growth of Tupac. Well, evidently, he was 19 years old. He comes on tour, and, you know, Shock G and Money B, a digital underground, bring him on tour. He's a young guy that was happening to get his stripes on the tour. Because back then, you know, you didn't, you didn't jump. You was a rookie. You was a rookie. Yeah. And you played the rookie role. You had to. I remember the, the same tour, Latifah comes out, Queen Latifah, and she says, I want you to meet my man Treacherous. He's, he's carrying, you know, he's maybe he could get a verse in or whatever. But he's carrying bags in. Uh, Pretty much. To yeah. get it, he's, he's, got, he's got to earn his space. We carry. Yeah, so, so, you know, so <laughs> Pac, <laughs> I'm pretending I didn't hear that. Pac and, <laughs> Pac and Tretch became boys. Right, because they carrying bags. They rookies together. Right. What we used to do at the beginning of tours, because we carried tours around for a long time, and we headlined. What we did was like we used to have a meeting with all the groups before we did a tour about how we stay on tour and how we all work together 
and how the older ones advise the younger ones and how the younger ones are going to come in, earn their stripes, and then lead, later on lead tours and be stars themselves. We learned that because we came in. And guys who led us was Ron, you know, Ellos Camp, Houdini. Really, uh, our teachers were like Ecstasy from Houdini and and, um, Jay and also um, Dougie Fresh, really. Mm. Dougie Fresh is our teacher, really. Yeah, Dougie Fresh taught everybody. Yeah, man, for real. I mean, the dude is like Charlie Atkins. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I mean, come on, man. (laughs) And then on return, I taught Dougie some things and artwork, Mm -hmm. and we produced his his Rising Mm -hmm. to the Top records and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it was like... Yeah, we were older, but we was able to teach man shit as people was able to teach us showmanship. Right. And, yeah, we had the records and things figured out, but we wasn't on tour in front of 15,000 people. You go out in front of 15,000 people and everybody look at the the audience looks like pizza. (laughs) It's like, you know, man, it's like, you know, when the Beastie Boys, we're playing with the Beastie Boys, we're playing at the Philly Spectrum, and we come out there, and it's like one and at many. It's like so you. I'm looking. It's like a rug. It looks like a rug out there. Later on, when you get used to it, you're able to pick out faces because yeah. you know you have a sense of your timing. You can zone in. You, yeah, you controlling. It's like a, a baby learning how to swim. Now yeah. you're able to to really con- to control your whole motion and everything. So yeah, Pac started out that way in 1990. Young kid. 19 years old, he had advisors like Nzazi and Shock G, who doesn't get enough credit for another band that Tommy Boy put out. Digital. Digital Underground that comes after Stetson Sonics. See, yeah. a lot of talk about the Roots. The Roots were third in line when you talk about the bands. Mm. And um, so from that, you know, uh, we, after that tour, we did the first full soundtrack on hip hop. It wasn't that the first full soundtrack. But we did the soundtrack to Juice. Right. The soundtrack and the score. Right. Soundtrack and the score. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we, we're bringing memories to your memory. Yeah. <laughs> now, now there's a story where, and, and, and I heard this from Flav, that one time when y'all was on tour, somebody stole one of the S1Ws. <laughs> that's Uzi's. too long to go into. Yeah, because that's, that's true. Because this dude, we're Oklahoma City. Dude steals one of the things, goes in our dress room and steals Why? Shit. Like, well, who gives a fuck? Because he broke in and he yeah. wanted to have a, a souvenir. Yeah. Tupac so, finds him, right? Tupac finds him. Gets in that ass. Shows that he's a soldier <laughs> for us. <laughs> and, you know, and the dude kept lying about stealing it. And they was like saying, stop lying. Just say you stole it. So he's surrounded by But one of the tour heads, Terry Holt and Tupac, said, I saw him. And the guy kept saying, you didn't see me. I did see you. So Tupac was like, I mean, really, just start trying to rough him, up, rough him up. And I was like, look, man, you don't want to kill the guy. It's only a thing that he's told me. You know, so I'm, they call me Kissinger. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm neutralizing the, the drama to yeah. the point where if he stole something, just admit. I'm telling the dude. This dude's like 6'5". I'm like telling the dude. <laughs> just admit that you stole it. And we and good. We, we good. Right. He kept lying. And then <laughs> the, the guy would. The sense of me busting a walkie-talkie on his head. Stop fucking lying. <laughs> but I had, and I saw this dude like later on at a Nick game. <laughs> I sit with my pops, and he he saw me. I saw him, and he just raced by me. And, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it's like you didn't have to do that, man. 
Like, do you have to run by me? Like, I could have said hello. He was like, I, but I, thought, he, I heard he got that ass whipping. Though. Yeah, he got he got, he had a problem. <laughs> I saved him. I saved yeah, him for yeah, real. Yeah. It's like, yo, man, it's really this is not worth y'all really be. But <laughs> Pac was really showing that he was a soldier for us. He wasn't so much a star until he did Juice. Right. Mm-hmm. And he did Juice, and we did the sound and form, and you know. You know, hopefully, helped that he got that role, and from that point on, he did the next movie, Poetic Justice. I thought it was an incredible acting, and then all of a sudden, the audience, which had gotten used to the thug role in America by rappers, said that he fell off, and he did a better acting job in Poetic Justice with a message at with yeah. fine ass Janet Jackson with a message in it like I got these trials and tribulations and drama, and I'm just trying to like keep my head, and the 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 then turning. USA audience of where we're going to take the stereotype, what the black rapper should be, was not happy with his role in that. So what happened? What brought Tupac back up to the to the forefront? The next movie, Blood the Rim. Yeah, bad guy. Bad guy. Ill of the ill bad Birdie. guy. Birdie, bad guy. And this is a dude with the theatrical training, so he could really play that dude. Right. He could really, really play that dude to the point where you don't know. If you're dealing with... Is he really acting or is that really him? And Tupac comes from the generation, different from any other generation, that can actually look at something 500 times because you didn't have that in the 70s. A movie came on, you saw that shit once. Kept you was a CNN, you kept it moving. It kept moving. Yeah, it kept moving. It's like, it. you know, like, yeah, that movie came out. You didn't sit your ass in front of the TV. You didn't see That it. shit wasn't coming on again. No VHS, no, 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 no VHS. DVR. Yeah, in the 80s when people started having tapes, then you had people that would really get parts by watching things with repetition. Yeah. So people began to even do um, visual character better. Before you, know, you, could, before you had what? Voice impersonators, because they can actually play something on a record, play the tape, play it back and forth. But you didn't have visual audio access until the 80s. So then character acting really went to another level because you was able to look at something and emulate it to the T, and that's what Tupac was able to even do with the tools and with his background. So when Tupac played that character, he took it to, like, steroids level, man. You People really believed that shit. When, when, when things started getting really crazy around him, did you, did you ever get a chance to talk to him, man? <laughs> Quite a few times. That letter I put out on Twitter, it was like, I sent him a letter because he was supposed to come overseas. We had America's Most Wanted tour. Mm. Ice-T, Public Enemy, and Tupac. Wow. Pac was supposed to come out. We get the news. Me and Ice waiting for him. And me and Ice-T, like brother brothers, we would have the, the tour conversation in the beginning to let everybody get the ground, the ground rules. Because he's my brother brother. So from the east and the west coast, we had that seniority. We wait for Pac to come over to Italy. We're sitting there and they said, oh, yeah, Pac can't come over. He got shot. Is he all right? Yeah, but he went to New York and... And, you know, I was like, I didn't want to hear it no more. So we did the rest of the tour without him. Then later on, yeah, I mean, so what happened, and then he got locked up. And I sent him a letter like, dude, you know, like, this is what you asked for. Like, and my letter was really like no holes barred. Like, yo, I mean, the fuck, man? Like, what's going your word, on? Your dude, words are powerful, man. Man, for real, that letter was a motherfucker. Right. I'm like, dude, what's going What the fuck is going on? That's the, the the letter that came back never came back to me. He never sent it out. They reprinted it in Resurrection, his mm, book. Right. Never came to me. So, you know, I mean, I never got, but when I saw Pac 
when he got released, I saw him at the House of Blues. Dude hugged me for like five minutes, said he got the letter, just didn't send it out, said let's do some things. But then I, you know, you know, things are busy, busy and, you know, and, and um, I remember seeing him in Atlanta and I kind of like, okay, you know, the fuck, this is what you asked for. So, yeah, you know, it's like the same old, yeah, Uncle Chuck, you know, so, I mean, I mean, Cats has grown. Like I said, even the, to this latest thing, I can't tell another 25, 30 year old, 35 year old, 40 person, old person, shit, I, man, I ain't your father. Yeah. I can only advise you. Like Bruce Lee, I can only help you explore yourself. I cannot teach you. You grown man, man up. If you can't man up, then you're going to be dealing with yourself in the mirror that's going to be manning up against your ass. Yeah. So I'm not in the middle of that conversation. So when I would see Pac, I mean, other than that, all love to you. Be safe. You know, be safe. Catch you. Maybe we do some things together on your time. Because time is, you know... Sometimes we all can't share time because everybody's time is different. Yep. Time is God. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's what that was. And and when he was um, murdered in Las Vegas, I mean, I was I was I was pissed. People were hurt. I was pissed. I was just like, what the fuck, man? It's like, how can you know what, man? And then, then I'm getting stories of how it happened and what really happened. Then I'm like, I don't know if he's, you know, what is this a game? Then I went out to certain parts. They're like, nah, it ain't a game. This is what happened. This is what happened here. And this was what, you know, I'm like, all right, he's gone. Some that shit. And then the thing with, with, with Biggie was just like fucking even crazier. Did you because know Biggie? I met Biggie at Daddy O's house first. Right. He's like, Daddy O in Brooklyn, his bed style. He's like, yo, meet my man, you know, Big. And I'm looking at up his nostril and stuff. <laughs> look at that Big. <laughs> he got a hood on. And I'm looking at the nostrils. Like, what's up, man? I'm like, okay. And, uh, yeah, so and I know he came through, you know, Puffy's thing. And Craig Mack jumped that off, and then Biggie was the, was the thing. And I was like, okay, this this cat, I, this is the cat that Daddy O introduced me to. And, you know, and this cat is smart. That's the thing I got. The dude is smart. Everybody talk about the flows and what he did. I'm like, he's smart because he's able to say these things and, and juggle them. He's got a good voice. He's big enough to have that good voice. So it's coming from the gut. Yeah. So. And you know, and he's and he's clever. He's witty, and and New, and Brooklyn needed a uh, and New York needed a uh, something to counteract everything that was pouring from the West because the yeah. re- the West was like we needed that balance, man. man. And then everything else started coming in the, in the in the seams and the cracks from Chicago with Common and and Detroit, and then you know it's like the Bay Area. So really, the United States of hip hop started to really make some statements, but um. Biggie came at a very important time. And then here's the thing that people start talking about later on. And I'll be first to talk about this. What happened, you know, with the Ten Crack Commandments and I think Biggie's, uh, was it second album or the first whatever? Second album. And um, this was a situation where I tell people, I said, yo, man, when you're in in this music business, you don't do anything by yourself. We connected as people and songwriters at the same time, Bad Boy was talking about how much money that they're getting and throwing money at the camera and all. I got songwriters who are on the other side of samples who are saying, well, Jeff Jam ain't paid us. Where's our money? They're using that sample. And looking Where's at you looking, looking, looking at me. Yeah. I'm like, yo, I can't answer that. Yeah, but they're using this and, this, and this is being blown out like that. So where's our percentage of that? 
So as much as the human side of me said, oh, let it go because it don't matter to me. The business side is you got to handle that shit. Look, I'm very I'm a, quick. I'm a lawyer, I'm, so I, ve- yeah, I understand. I'm very quick to just keep those. <laughs> yeah. I'm very quick to let bygones be handshake handshake deals. Right. But I drive a 97 Acura, and I'm good with that. Another person be like, yo, Chuck, man, that's all that shit is all good. But I helped write that song. I, yo, yo, you that got shit, choices. That shit ain't good. I ain't got no fucking yeah, choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You figure this shit out. And I'm like, yo. Are we going to figure it so out? So the thing became not a, 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 a biggie sample in Public Enemy or Chuck. It became like, Arista, bad boy, what are y'all doing on this particular situation? And I didn't even know. I am on tour and the Smoking Grooves tour in 1998. And Primo is on the tour. Gangstar's on the tour. We all good. This is my man. Primo's like, yo, I don't know what's going on. This lawsuit's going on handed by Def Jam to... To bad boy and bad boy putting a squeeze on me saying I can't get my money. I'm like, what's he the fuck? A track. So they holding you. I didn't even know you. This came from some kind of songwriting thing. I said, you know, all summer long I was talking to Bump, uh, Freddie on. I said, yo, man, we gotta fix this shit or whatever. But by that time, it shows you how much artists in control we got. This was not about me. It wasn't about for me. It wasn't about Biggie. This shit was about how Def Jam wanted to get something from. From Bad Boy, but how Polygram wanted to get something from Ar- from mm. what was it, Arista? So it was a, a, a corporate man. three three card money game, man. And, <laughs> and, 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 and yo, man. But end of the day, man, it was like a twelve thousand dollar royalty song settlement that Def Jam assumed because Def Jam it was Def Jam's yeah. issue. Yeah. So as much as I said, yo, that shit need to be deaded. The Def Jam copyright publishing situation said, man, this shit is some other shit. This shit is business between us and them. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? But yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those things. There's going to be a lot of unfortunate things that goes on when you're in the middle of this dance. Of course. Chuck, and, and, people, and, and of course, heads were like, yo, man, it's wrong because my man, everybody got yo, something to say, yo, but, it's like. But you said yo, it earlier, man. Don't, don't count somebody else's money. Yo, man, I sure enough didn't count any. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thrust in the middle of that situation. The thing with the St. Ives was different. It's like, yo, y'all use my voice. And you're morally against that shit. I don't I, drink. Yo, man, yeah. I'm just, y'all don't drink, man, and, and fuck that. And, and, and Cube did the video. Yeah. I mean, did the, uh, the, the commercial. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, man, I, yo, I'm going after them, man, because they should have fucking. Cube and Pooh did it. Those are my boys. Yeah, but, like, man, nah, that can't happen, man. Yeah. And the only reason that shit rang a bell. Because the commercials were everywhere. Everybody was, was drinking St. Ives. And everybody was calling me about it. Yeah. I'm like, yo, man, this shit got to You killing my brand. You killing me. Yeah. But the, the, the thing with, um, with the Biggie thing, it was, it was unfortunate. And at the same time, you know, nah, man, yo, call me before any shit goes down. Call me. I was, I was more mad at, at Bad Boy and Arista, because they was going around bragging about how much money you got. You all got all this money, but I got somebody on this end that you fucking ain't no paying. no money, and that, you're making it, money off of them. Seriously. Don't yeah. talk about fucking money. Yeah. So what happened, after all that shit was said and done, I'm in the middle of Sam Ash in Long Island. I get a call. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm coming from Sean Cone's office. Um, I can speak to Chuck. I'm like, yeah, this is Chuck. Uh, Mr. Cone's want to talk to you. Hey, what's up? Hey, hey, what's up, Chuck? Everything. Everything's good. I'm like, okay, what's up? How you doing? All good. I just want to call you like, we want to do this this public enemy number one thing, but ah. I just want to ask if it's cool. I said, number one, yo, Puff, 
The beat is like JB's, man, and we, you know, we paid Selman and Sue. That yo, man, you doing it? We just wanted to ask you. I say, you know, Puff, man, do your thing. Stop playing, whatever. Bro, but thanks, you know, thanks yeah. for calling. But you know what? That's what it is. Yeah. And call me when Bumpy was on the show, Freddie Fox, man. He talked about how he found out that your life was in danger. That that a couple of cats, like a couple of organizations, had you on a hit list. Like I think it was the Skinheads or the KKK or something like that. Was that was that real, man? Was that was that real? And it's always real. I've been on a COINTEL. <laughs> I've been on the FBI CIA list since year one, eighty seven. I mean, look, man. But, but, like, did that? Did that? How did that affect you, man? How how does it affect you? Yo, man, I'm part of a team. I'm part of a team. I'm, I don't think what I'm saying is anything that's particularly untruthful. I think it's forward. I, I think it's progressive. I think. Um, I'm an earthison. I'm a culturalist. I think the whole key uh, for a being is to be human. I believe that culture ties the human race, the one race that we know, together for our similarities and not size the differences. I believe governments break people up. I believe culture brings us together. I think hip-hop and rap music is the epitome of it. I think judging people on the characteristics of their skin and how they look is just some stupid, shallow bullshit I never adhered to or tested to. And I just think people need to be judged on their insides and we're going to be, for the betterment of human beings, we should talk about designing our insides as much as we talk about designing our outsides. So I've always believed in that. It ain't about how you look or whatever. But at the same time, I understand the conditions and the radiation that we're within. And the United States of America has never ever treated black people truly as equal human beings because we've never been able to allow ourselves to to be have open access to knowledge of self mm. and when we have knowledge of self there's there's inevitable conflict areas that make powers that be you know uneasy and that is a fear even to this day but get over it and that's why the fear is it's like the we're not talking about being the moral compass of rappers not being able to use certain. We can't get rid of a word. But when it's so easy for you to say one word and you can't say another word, that's, that's like, a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. And if they come down and crash down on you because you said this, but you can you have open policy to, to use a word that has been number one used against you as you were swinging from trees. Not too long ago. Not too long ago. And we're going to say that this is unanimously the one-word anthem of a people that's unacceptable to me. So our lives are always in danger when we speak that particular way. But you got to stand up in order to get knocked down. Were you, in a sense, because of your conviction to your troops, in a sense, willing to... Ready to die? Man, I ain't fucking ready to die. Nobody's fucking should be ready what to I'm die. Saying, you ready though, to live. But but the words that you're saying. <laughs> ready. The, the oh, words that I'm saying mean I'm ready to live. Ready to live. I and got when you're you ready to live, you. you're ready to fight for your freedom. Now, you might be a casualty in that fight. Right. But that ready to die Christmas addicts bullshit. It's like, live. yo, I'm ready to live. <laughs> And I'm ready to spread life. That's why when, when Nas says hip-hop is dead, if you're not being able to breathe life from the music and from the art form, that shit is dead. Yeah. Without women, this shit is dead. Yeah. Without, you know, us working together, this shit is dead. Without the diversity in music, this Yo, shit is dead. Yo, shit is dead. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, 
Yeah, I ain't talking about. I mean, come on. We we know that the uses of the word, the N word. Come on, we ain't, you can't get rid of a word. But it's such it's such terms as like that's what you call pool room behavior, alley alleyway behavior, strip club behavior and vernacular. Leader in an alley strip club and in the pool room. Yep. It don't need to be on the stage three o'clock in the afternoon, full of a stadium full of half white folks thinking that it's cool. Yeah. Because I got pictures of Indiana where there's a mass of, you know, white folks, Caucasian people, our human family, we're all human beings. So these, 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 these little mock-ups or these, these categories come from the distinctions that are made by this government splitting people up. So that's, for lack of a better word, if you have to say it simpler, in a simplified way, the black people are swing, swinging from the trees. There ain't a black person in this audience, and a lot of the white people are smiling. Yeah. So when somebody's dancing in the club and the N-word is spit right throughout the whole night and people are smiling and drinking to it, I got a problem with that. Yeah. And people not need to not get so defensive like the N-word is their little five-year-old brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and black don't need to be a curse word. Yeah. It's a stand-up word. It doesn't mean anti-white. You know, but the fact that we have to say that we're black just to be defensive against a system that just looks at that characteristic and wants to clown down on it, you got to have some stand up. And that's how I was taught. And what I was taught, I try to give it away for free. Yeah. I know I came here intending to talk one hour on Combat hey, Jack. Man. Hey, man, we wrapping Cheer. this up, man. Yeah. My last uh, question. Uh, people can also email me, chuckd at publicenemy.com. You don't remember that. You don't need to have it. And I only do one sock net. One social network. Twitter. That's Twitter. Yeah. I'm not a twittiot. I don't tweet food. <laughs> maybe food for thought. Yeah. I'm not in the dumbassification. I try to be in the intellectualism instead of anti-intellectualism. And uh, and I try to keep it moving at that. I ain't looking down at nobody. We try to, you know, create platforms. So what we've been doing at Rap Station and Spit Digital aggregating um people to be artists and we got an all-woman hip-hop network nice. now on radios. And so we, you know, we're doing the thing to provide service. And at my age, if I can't teach, I shouldn't even open my mouth to speak. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think I I thank you on the Combat Jack thank show, you, Reg and, and, and Pete, for being able to be invited and graced and, and humble to have Keith Shockley drive for me. And put eyes to sleep on the floor. Eyes. I'm going to say this. Chuck, one, one more thing, man. Yes, sir. Anchorman 2. An- no, I was in Anchorman 1. Anchorman 1. I was the original Anchorman. M- Malcolm Y. You played mm-hmm. Malcolm Y. Uh-huh. Because I, I, I don't do, I don't I, like to be hurt. was in the original Anchorman? Yeah, that's news to you. I gotta go. Yeah, it's ended up on the cut. You didn't know that? Uh, nah, a lot of people don't know. I, I, I saw the footage on, online. Look. So Anchorman 1. I don't do film. Right. I know how to act. I don't do film. Right. I, I put music in film. This is how we, we right. want to put music in film. Right. We want to do scoring and stuff. We have a long background in that. What's his name? Will Ferrell and his man, Adam Levy, <laughs> <laughs> chased me down. And beg, could I be in this? I said, dude, I don't. It's the Rick Rubin thing all over. Yeah. Dude, I don't do movies. <laughs> but please, we would love to have you in this. I don't do mu- movies. I'm not coming out there. Da, 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 da. And then they asked me and they kept asking me. They said, yo, look, we'll make it real easy for you. We got this thing. It's just like, it's a sort of, this is what the Anchorman thing is about. And I, I said, okay. And, I, you know, 
and I went, and they're really nice guys. It, it, the, the world of movies is a whole nother thing. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm a you know I'm a funny dude. With my, we're all funny <laughs> dudes from Roosevelt. So that whole Will Ferrell humor side was like a little bit like okay, yeah, yeah I get it, <laughs> but. Um, I'm from real funny motherfuckers, man. Right, right. I grew up down the street with Eddie Murphy. That's your God, really, for real. Yeah. Charlie Murphy. Charlie Murphy is a dude, man. Seriously, Charlie Murphy is the only dude I knew that when he cursed, you wanted to, are you curse using the same word? Because when Charlie Murphy cursed, you like, God damn, don't curse, dude. It's, it's so the, real. Yo, man, it's so sharp and real. Charlie Murphy will curse your ass out, either make you fight or cry. <laughs> yo, for real. Charlie Murphy, even back in the day, would be like, mm-hmm. I could be a funny motherfucker, but I will rob your ass for real. Uh. That's Charlie, right? <laughs> that's Charlie Murphy. Charlie. He's like, don't get me mixed up with Eddie. I, that, yo, that's my little brother. I will rob your fucking ass. I'll put the toolie to the shit. <laughs> but... Found active films. So they, they was they was gonna do Anchorman to be three movies in one and they was kinda shooting it and making it with no scripting plan to it. So they said, Well, we got three movies. One of them's gonna make it, but really we got I'm like, Whatever, you know, I I want we gonna do some music in your movie. <laughs> and that's how that thing started. And then Anchorman turned out to be this cult fucking movie. Yep. But I'm not in movies. Yeah. I'm really, I'm man, I'm from the music business. I'm yeah. from hip hop. I'm, you know, You're I'm like, for example, number one. Yeah, I'm shit. in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. I'm in that fucking shit. Like, I see cats like Booker T and George Clinton and, 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 uh, um, the guys from Steely Dan and, 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 uh, Creed is Clear. Well, I'm a musicologist along with my guys. So I geek out over that. I'm like, oh, oh, you like Carol King. It's like, 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 we God stopped. Mama, you know? You stopped and took a picture with Neil Diamond. Neil, Neil like, Diamond. Like, that, like, yo, that, this is know, Neil Diamond. Whoever on the rocks. Yeah, yeah, those yes. is my motherfuckers. I'm Carol King, about. you a big Carol King fan. Yo, Carol King is like, yo, we could <laughs> like that. And Carol's daughter, you, I mean, yo, it's like, yo, Carol, yo, I mean, Carol, the greatest song, we just lost Jerry Goffin. Yes. I know these, this shit. That, that the music is my shit. Mm. Now, the film thing is like, it's a whole nother world, yeah. man. It's like, I mean, I'll I love that he got game soundtrack, mm-hmm. by the way, man. Love that. The first time that that a rap artist did a full soundtrack. Love that. And album. the score. And the thing is, like, I'm a sports head. Mm-hmm. So, we can't, this is the thing that gives me. I'm, give me like 10 more minutes just to ask questions. Yes. Like a, I don't get when people talk about lyrics. It's like, because you don't get a lyric, don't mean the lyric good? Yeah. I know ball shit so much that I'm doing a crossover dribble and you don't know ball and I gave you just a great metaphor and rhyme that shit right but because you don't know that shit you didn't get it so you ass out. Yeah, that don't mean it's like, not like, dope. You know, like I said, you know, uh, when Neil, uh, what's it, Ray Allen was playing with the Milwaukee Bucks so I said, you know, and, and, but he was in Jesus Shuttles, you know, it was Jesus Shuttles. Jesus Shuttles. So I, I, like a super agent is a song I did when I said, you know, this free agent for a million bucks, you know, a buck for a million bucks, Milwaukee Bucks. And I just did like, cat, 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 And that's zoom past cat because they don't know a ball like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A ball had no ball, so they were like, ah, I get it. But if you rhyming, you spitting, but your topics is just truncated, limited to high school shit or street block shit, you're going to miss a lot of shit that, yeah. that's going to be said. That block shit ain't really, the block shit could kind of like go here. And you can make terms applicable. You can make a curse, not curse. You can come up with slang that sounds like it ain't slang yet. You can do this stuff. But the block shit is... Just a block. 
you got this much elbow room to go out and spread out, and you might be able to push it out, but there's so many topics out there, and there's so many things that you can actually rhyme and delve your way in to just be brilliant, and this, we got a lot of cats out there. Now, we know what's appealing, but whether it's something that's going to be more appealing over what was said 10 years ago is going to even be better. You might as well listen to this shit 10 years is it, ago. Is it going to get y'all the in the shit. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It might not, but I'm just like saying <laughs> that I like to come up with things that is going to top on an area that not people are like on the top on. And He Got Game was, that whole album is ball metaphors that they still ain't figured out. And I'm like saying, well, and when I see these these lyrical lists, I'm like, the lyrical list is fine, but they rhyming about the same category yeah. <laughs> over here. This is the same thing with battle rap. When battle rap turns into some other spectacle, it becomes something else that I'm, able, not, I'm unable to give comment on. Right. If you spit, like, for example, back in the day when Cats was, like, battle rapping and they was picking things out, like the best Cleveland, the best battle rappers in the, in the, in the beginning was Cleveland guys because they learned how to. This is where freestyle started, in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio place where LeBron signed to yeah. yesterday. Cats used to go out there and do exercises <laughs> with prop baskets and prop boxes where they used to dig in a prop box and pull it up and a cat had to keep their flow to whatever was pulled up. Mm. So if it's a hairbrush, yeah, if it's a hairbrush, bar soap, um, Christmas wreath. Eyeglasses. It would be like 50 things in a box and a cat would be at the end say, start, and the cat be pulling out shit and the cat got flowing. The minute that shit bump, He's eh, he's out of there. These, these, these are these are freestyle exercises that they did out there. So by the time they came out and did the new music seminar with guys like Bango and, and, and Cats out of Cleveland, they was destroying Cats from New York because they came up with this new shit. They, they had and they, they was training and those muscles. Motherfuckers, man. that's why when Super Nat came out, he's from Marion, Indiana. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Ohio, Super Nat. Indiana. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. A lot of this hasn't been died, you know, figured out. And they think, oh, freestyle starts. Freestyle started in Cleveland, Ohio. Mark my word. Them motherfuckers became masters at that shit. You know, and they couldn't come up with answers until everybody said, oh, freestyle, this is what it is. They went through exercises to do that. Even back in the day, we used to have cats battle on MC. They used to battle, right? But the thing about Keith used to be on the turntable. And we used to call it Ride the Pony. So it wasn't about, you know, the MC couldn't choose their beat. He had the beat. Now, they had to rhyme to the beat, but also what Keith got is what? He got pitch control. And he might turn this shit from 33 to 45. Uh. The motherfuckers get thrown, they get thrown off the pony. (laughs) Dude, you battle, you lost this motherfucker, you're not getting the mic, go home. (laughs) You you got thrown off the pony. Yeah. Now, all this shit that a cat coming out, and this is what I don't understand, where rhymes is like, yo, I'm coming at you because I'm saying that shit, and I'm Balling at you because you rolling that shit and I'm coming at it's like you keep ending with shit. I'm like, what? Because I'm meaning that, that shit. shit. I'm like, you're not rhyming, dude. Because you're not seeing that <laughs> shit. Because you're not saying no shit. I mean, like, <laughs> that you're not rhyming. Not rhyming or, or, or the here's the other the hopscots like, uh, uh, what? Yo, uh, it's like the, you know, like you see girls hopscotching, yeah, like you know, you double dutch. It's like you have to double dutch into it. Can you eliminate that and start this this battle? So where they at right now, they had some other spectacle where it got something to do with cats just showing this thing and that it's like it's some other thing. So do I respect it? I just say 
it's dem- this demographic might be growing, but I'm unqualified to comment <laughs> on what the fuck that is. I learned for the guys like Kumo D, like I said, is a fucking cyborg. He would size your ass up and fucking beat you down with words that you don't fucking know. And because you don't know the words, you're like, oh, man, I don't know that shit. So he lost because you don't know. You dumb enough to not understand the fucking words he's coming with. Dude, you lost. You lost because, you know, his artillery, he beat you down with half the fucking dictionary. It's almost like a sports reference. So you say people don't know that. And I'll tell you, I give you so much credit for everything with you comes back to sports, you know. And I will say that you've been one hell of a player and a hell of a coach. And a, and and a great a great fucking team, yo man. It ain't about me. It's about like I said. It's about seeing if I want to be entertained. I'm I'm fifty three going on fifty four. I want to sit in a seat and watch a goddamn show and be like, oh shit. And I don't want to hear somebody saying, well, you're Chuck. You've seen it all, so you ain't gonna be a. That's some bullshit. Yeah, hey, you yeah. know, Bill Russell could look at a basketball game and say, oh shit, LeBron, <laughs> that motherfucker yeah, right there. I, I get that. You know, you seen no, I see you. Ain't, you don't move. You ain't impressing me. Man, like impress I said, me, I'll jump impress, out the seat. Impress me, I jump out this seat. That's yeah, all we man. need, Brad. We need to be impressed, <laughs> yo, man. Yo, man, like I said, man, foul much. I'm like, yo, man, bad motherfucker is my theme, man. It's like, <laughs> god damn, I wish I could. Oh. Damn, I wish I could have ever did that shit. I'm like, I'm in, I'm all, look, man, you go to rap station. I've been doing shows for four years. You know, I've been playing everything. I, I find, I do a good job of searching and curating, man. There's cats out there that's putting it down. That make me say, oh, look, man, you fuck. The greatest dude, first of the most feared rapper of all time is KRS-One. Yes. He's the only dude I know, and I, I'll end on this note. The only MC that ever would start, step in a room and cats change their fucking occupations. <laughs> for real. Because he'll come in and say, yo, who's an MC? And mother, nah, I don't know. I drive for UPS. I, don't, I used to do that shit. My, 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 my son does that shit. Everybody's like not an MC when he steps in the room. To this fucking minute. To this day. To this minute. Yeah. Yo, man, I've never seen anybody else ever fucking make the atmospheric condition of change. an MC room's chain like, like Harris one. Bar none. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was some of the thing that gave me a little piss and vinegar when I talked about Hot 97 when I got the feedback from some reliable sources and I saw, unfortunately, was witness to this shit on YouTube as well. I had just been with KRS-One in Paris in front of 10,000 people at, a, at, mm. at the ultimate hip-hop convention and Paris is the second strongest hip-hop nation in the world by far. Mm. And, you know, you can't say that that they're less because they're more united. Right. And they're connected in the more areas of Africa and and areas of the Caribbean and, and, and because of they speak French. And because they speak French and they spitting and you don't know another language, you don't, don't know French. Yeah. It's like this, you know, and, and like I said in the last two minutes, this is the thing that gets me that we can ask questions like, So do you like what they spitting? It don't matter, I just like the beat. So do you like they flow? Yeah. So it don't matter what they spitting. Nah, long as they flowing. So they flowing in in French on that beat. Yeah, but I don't know what they saying. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you confusing me with your confusion. It's like, this dude is spitting, they flowing, you like the beat, but you can't feel them because you're not hearing what they saying, but what they saying is not important. Nah, I'm saying though, I'm just saying, 
what you, you fucking saying? confusing me with your fucking confusion. And I'm saying I'm not talking about anything else other than straight out hip hop rap and MCing. And we haven't even begun to talk about vernaculars out of the South, vernaculars out of the Southeast. Uh, you know, my man, my brother, brother Bun B. You know, is another teacher. I've been trying to get down to rice for for the longest bun, so I think this year might be it. Pete, make that happen. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a wonderful art form, man. And I, like I said, what I said at the beginning of this, and, and it's I, great I wanna, that you love it, still. man. I want to sit, yo, man. Me and Keith want to sit and be entertained, like what the fuck, and be like, God damn, you know. See, like I said, my man bumped just on an interview. I was like, man, that shit was a fucking movie. The best interview I've ever heard in my life. It ain't shit for me to say. And I ain't here I am coming up and talking for five fucking hours. <laughs> Y'all gonna take the knife to this shit, man. Yo. Like Chuck came up here and talked for 14 minutes. Yo, listen, man. Like Keep Shockley uh, chauffeuring over here. Yo, man, they got chauffeuring back. Uh, Yo, listen, guys. Like I said, man, this is such an honor. And, and, and thank you nah, for all the you. knowledge and, and, and opinions and and. You know, experiences, man, this is so invaluable, man. Pete. Pete, I mean, we throw the word around legend sometimes too much. I'll take, no, I'll take that instead of the N-word. I mean, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We throw it around so much, but, you know, it's an honor to have you on the show. Man. You're a true legend, man. Man, it's an it's, honor to be up here for five hours. <laughs> it's an honor to have us two old motherfuckers up here. You know what, though? This <laughs> so was I got this, kids, this, 35. This right? was five hours. Yeah, this lying. might have been five hours. It didn't feel like that, man. It ain't uh, supposed I mean, it to felt feel long, like but it didn't feel like that. Yeah, it ain't supposed to feel like that because, trust me, if you got some shit, man, man for real, if you with the wrong cat, 14 minutes seemed like a goddamn yeah, lifetime. I'm, I'm trying to take brother. pliers. Oh. I'm taking pliers into your esophagus. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yo, Chuck. Yo, Keith, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank y'all. Much obliged. Internets, you know what this is, man. This is the Combat Jack Show. Dream those dreams and then man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blah. Blah. Numenati! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menner. Executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.